Cinemodities, late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities, where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I'm a fat, sad sack that can't stop talking about geckos. This week on Cinemodities, we are finishing up a series, but before we do that, he pulled a funny on us, folks. You heard a different voice again. It's actually not Zach. It is none other than someone who is familiar with this podcast. He's been on some bonus episodes before, talking about Sean Nelson, talking about rap, which fits great into this episode. His name is Ben. Ben, thank you for being here. Oh, you're welcome, Rob. I, uh, I'm happy to be here. Glad I could uh, fill in for you whenever all the other people left you to die. <laughs> no one <laughs> wants to hear a Rob solo episode, and they probably never will. <laughs> <laughs> so, before we can get into um, this series, I think that's the one thing Ben doesn't know where this, this episode is falling into. We have to talk about well, as always, why is Zach not here? And we know already that he's off busy working at the restaurant. The Cinemodities restaurant, he's been hard at work there. And this time, he's actually doing, I would say, the world a favor. Because Zach is currently out at the restaurant trying to prevent people and the government from getting their hands on the word processor of the gods. So this is something we have buried very deep in the basement of our restaurant, Zach. Uh, I, see, I thought you were Zach. You're Ben. Something very deep in the Cinemodies restaurant that we use only to convince health inspectors that everything is okay with our restaurant. It is an old-school word processor with the magical ability that whatever you type into it becomes the truth. Okay. And so, so it's kind of like your camera. That you yes, have that yes. turns people into food. But we have more control over the word processor and the gods because when we take a picture with the camera, we don't know what the camera is going to show. Like it right, could okay. show somebody as food. It could show somebody just not in the picture, which means they're going to disappear. It could show somebody as like 800 pounds, which means they're going to just get fatter and fatter until they explode. Those are the actual two things that happen in the Goosebumps episodes, the disappearing <laughs> and the fatness. But the word processor, we actually get to type something in and that becomes the truth. And when we first introduced this, I really wanted it. Zach was hesitant, but we agreed that we wouldn't use it a lot. We would just make it so we could pass our health inspections. So every time the health inspector shows up, we bust out the word process of the gods, we say, and we pass our health inspection on this date, and it happens. But now, it's gotten out, through this podcast, that some people know we have the word processor of the gods. And they want to use it to what, some stupid shit like fix the world. Fuck that. Like get rid of the coronavirus. Fuck that. It's for health inspections. <laughs> so Zach is very, very firmly making sure that nobody gets to the word process of the gods. He's doing the world a favor because what? Once we stop coronavirus, it's not going to end. People are going to want, you know, like so much more from the word process of the gods. We can't give them an inch because they'll take a mile. Sure. Okay. Uh, are, you, are you throwing a red herring? Is Zach actually going somewhere where the word processor is not? To <laughs> I think he's running it like a um, like like a like a drug dealer stash house where he's changing the location every so okay. often. So when they wiretap us and stuff, they can't get the exact spot and things like that, and they got to break oh. our codes and whatnot. <laughs> so 
He should uh, pull like from the old Scarface games, just like be driving around with dr- with the word processor, <laughs> just always on the move, always Looking, on getting, the move, getting chased. All right, so so Zach's protecting us from the authoritarians that will type fucking world peace or something into this into this uh, word processor, which nobody needs. Yeah, or, or nobody. maybe there's I haven't heard back. I haven't got a status update yet, but maybe other restaurants want to steal this for their own health inspection reasons. Yeah. That would be fucked. That's no good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. With that out of the way, I get to now introduce Ben to, well, what the hell have we been doing this month on Cinemodities? And in this month of May, we had four episodes, and each episode we discussed a movie that involved a rapper in some role of the movie, whether it be very minor, which was our first one of the month. We did Uncut Gems, where um, the rapper shows up for, like, six words at the beginning, but hey, we're loose enough with our own rules to make it work. Uh, Then we did Thriller, which is a a, 2018 movie, not the Michael Jackson video, which had the RZA from the Wu-Tang Clan in a great role. And then, as I told Ben earlier, uh, Justin and I last week talked about Like Mike with Lil Bow Wow, the rapper in the main role. And so this movie also fits into that format. We have a rapper acting in this movie. Do you have any guess on what actor in this movie is the rapper? Uh, what's Conlon? What's her name? Who? Is it Tammy? Tammy? What? <laughs> no, it's definitely Jude Law. It is not Jude Law. <laughs> oh, is it? Is it um, Hoffman? Uh, no, he he might have rapped, but maybe jokingly. There was actually there's actually someone in here that everybody seems to have forgotten started their career as a rapper. Is it? What's the main character? Uh, so the main uh, character uh, is Jason Schwartzman. Is it him? No. So those are your three guesses, Ben. It is none um, other than Mark Wahlberg. What? People, people have forgotten this. It has been lost to time because Mark Wahlberg is just a famous actor, a leading man, maybe not now, but for a long time in this range, the early 2000s. From 1989 to 1993, Mark Wahlberg was the founder and the lead of the hip-hop rap group Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. This is not not a Cinemodities joke. This is a legitimate thing that happened. (laughs) (laughs) So I I, got to say I'm a little upset you didn't pick the movie Four Brothers since that has, like, Marky Mark and I think Tyrese and that guy from... (laughs) That does have some Andre 4500 or something. Yeah, yeah, so... So, yes, I I think um, this was the shtick of this whole series because I I picked this series. I pitched it to Zach. I was like, oh, I really like the idea of, you know, let's do movies where there's, like, rappers as actors because there's that Childish Gambino line from, I think, Bonfire where he's like, why every black actor got a rap sum? And I, like, flipped that on its head, and that was the inspiration for this. And then when I thought about it more because there's so many movies. Like you said, we could have done, you know, things with Andre 3000. Uh, we could have done, like, uh, you know, There's How High with Method Man and Red Man or, like, Snoop Dogg movies, Wiz Khalifa movies. And, but I thought about it, and I was like, okay, here's, here's the gimmick. This is what's going to make this series great. The first three movies involve, like, notable rappers. And then the fourth one, we do Mark Wahlberg, the white guy that nobody <laughs> remembers actually rapped in the early 90s. And Zach was like, I'm sold. <laughs> right on, right on. So a little bit about, since I, I know nobody remembers this, like I said, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch, 1989 to 1993. The Funky Bunch 
had, uh, I think it was four other people in it. The lead was Mark Wahlberg, Marky Mark, but then his cohorts were Scotty G, Hector the Booty Inspector, <laughs> DJ T, and Ashy Ace. That, that is Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch, and I am serious. Hector the Booty Inspector is amazing. That's a fantastic name right there. <laughs> I, I do have to ask, do you know anything about Ashy Ace? Um, not, is not this, really. Is this a black man that doesn't know about lotion? <laughs> <laughs> isn't, that a, isn't that like a Bill Burr bit where he's like, I dated a black woman. She's like, used lotion all the time. And she's like, he's, he's like, why do you do that? And she's like, cause I get ashy. And he's like, what the fuck is ashy? And it turns out it's just dry skin. <laughs> uh, it's either Bill Burr or Christopher Titus. They okay. look the same to me. So <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know anything about lotion. Never used it the first 33 years of my life. Never used it. So one night I was going out with this black girl, right? She was getting ready and she was just putting that shit on everywhere. Just slathering it on. I thought she had like a rash or something. I'm like, what are you, like poison ivy? What's going on with you? She goes, no, I'm just making sure I'm not ashy. I said, ashy? She goes, dry skin. <laughs> it could be. So, so Ashy Ace, his real name is Anthony Thomas. He just seems to not have a Wikipedia page. Whoa. So, you know, that's always I a have good a, I have a Wikipedia page. <laughs> I'm not even famous. He is... Well, that's no help. The picture... When you type in Anthony Thomas, Marky Mark, and the Funky Bunch, and it pops up on Google, the picture is of two people. One is black and one is white. <laughs> that, is, that is the least helpful thing. Okay, I found one with him and Mark Wahlberg, and Mark Wahlberg is not Anthony Thomas. It is a black man. So, yeah, could be. Ashy Ace could come from that, for sure. All right. So, Either that or he, like, burned down houses as a <laughs> pastime. So, now, now that, Ben, that was accidentally racist. <laughs> <laughs> that episode hasn't come out yet, but I think the joke still works. There's not much explanation that's needed for that, right? <laughs> I, I think we're fine. So, uh, it, I looked a little bit because... You know, uh, this was they Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch was going on when Ben and I were dead and born. The first when we were dead, and then the first early years of our life. And I don't really know a lot about them. I've just known that Mark Wahlberg was Marky Mark, and I think I've seen a video or two in like I don't know random stores back in the day, like in a mall. They would have those shoe stores, like Journeys, where they would just show music videos. And I think I saw Mark Wahlberg in one of them, and I'm like, that's weird. But it seems like their most famous songs are Good Vibrations. That's, that was like a number one chart hit. And it does not sample the Beach Boys song, as far as I can tell. It's just kind of like the hip-hop rap version of something they had. And it's, 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 um, I'll put a clip in, but uh, I listened to it. And I think it's something that a lot of people, if they heard, they'd be like, oh, even if I don't know that song, I think it got sampled a lot like in the later 90s in some more hip-hop and rap. Their second most famous song is an absolute fucking travesty. It's called Wild Side, and it samples Lou Reed's Take a Walk on the Wild Side, which is a song I think everybody knows, you know, do 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 
I said, baby, take a walk on the wild side. Ben is looking at me in utter bewilderment. She says, hey, babe, take a walk on the wild side. I said, hey, babe, take a walk on the wild side. And the colored girls go do 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 Ben knows this about me, that there are some songs that are just perfect, and you can't use them in wrong ways, you can't sample them in wrong ways, and Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch absolutely sample Lou Reed's Take a Walk on the Wild Side in the wrong way. And it's a travesty. So, eh, I, I didn't really want to listen to him anymore after that, especially because Mark Wahlberg, as you might have expected, Ben, he's not the greatest rapper. <laughs> ben has some knowledge with this because we've discussed some Eminem and some Spose and some Watsky and things like that. I can't imagine that you would listen to Mark Wahlberg in the early 90s and go, man, he's great. He's up there, right? <laughs> I, I think I think Eminem has, is actually on record saying that Mark Wahlberg was his inspiration. Ooh, that, that I could see that as, you know, an earlier white rapper leading into <laughs> a great white rapper. That makes some sense. Someone that, that has to fall on their sword, not, right? That definitely did not happen. Oh, um, that would have been great. <laughs> So you mentioned that we were dead. I don't think I was ever dead. Oh yeah, before we're born, we're dead. That's, that's oh okay, how, that's that... how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I feel I know, like that's. I was born in 1992, and before that, like 1991, 1990, I was dead. 1200 I... AD, I was dead. <laughs> I, I think that's an appropriate question for for this uh, episode, given that we're going to be discussing some oh, philosoph yes. philosophically. Is that yes? <laughs> Existentialism, absolutely. So, yeah. so this series, like we said, is the rappers as actors. Uh, there was a plethora of things to talk about with Mark Wahlberg, but of course, we did, as you've seen in the title, I heart Huckabees. So, I guess the first question, Ben, is: Do you heart Huckabees? I, after watching this movie, well, okay, I should, I should start with the before. Before I watched this movie, I thought that I did indeed heart Huckabees. Okay, and, and, and then I watched this movie, and I got a taste for how this company operates, and I can I can safely say that now, I no longer heart Huckabees. Would you call them fuckabees? <laughs> yes, uh, and she to, said to fuckabees. Dismay, she said fuckabees. <laughs> they they were so upset about that. <laughs> yes, like, like it cuts to like multiple characters going, <gasps> fuckabees. Fuckabees. Wow. wow. Bradley. Wow. So Go I take think... care of her. She said fuckabees. <laughs> she said what? <laughs> so I think this movie this movie has gone pretty much by the wayside. Um, I don't hear a lot of people talk about this movie ever. Um, this is something that I found a long time ago, you know, searching for kind of um, things about more philosophical, existential, this, certainly this movie. Um, and I remember someone told me about this movie and the way they described it was they were like, it starts with a guy walking through the woods, and he's like, fuck shit, motherfucker, cocksucker, fuck shit, assholes. And he's just cursing, and I'm like, this intrigues me. <laughs> but I'm listening. So, so I heart Huckabees. I 
love this movie, as I told Ben beforehand. But I also told Ben, don't let them, don't let that sway his opinion anyway. But I've known about this movie for a long time. I've seen it a bunch. I really love it. I think it's hilarious. Like this movie, at some scenes, has me dying in laughter. But before we get into Ben's opinions, I do have to say that this was a 2004 movie, uh, had a 20 million dollar budget, grossed a whopping 20.1 million. <laughs> And so the $20 million is its production budget, so not its marketing budget. You know, the good rule of thumb is that a movie needs to make one and a half to two times its production budget to make money. This movie did not make money. If you do 20.1 and divide it by 20, you don't get near anywhere near 1.5. <laughs> it's, uh, it's actually really close to one. That's some, that's some quick maths for you, Ben. <laughs> the, the thing I think is more interesting is that this is uh, directed by David O. Russell, who actually later goes on to get some fame because he directs uh, Silver Linings Playbook and American Hustle. Ooh. And those movies got a lot of attention. And I didn't really, I never saw American Hustle. Silver Linings Playbook, like the ending is absolutely hilarious. Have you ever seen that movie, Ben? I have. I was really drunk. Uh, and it was, <laughs> it, I was hanging out with a, with a friend in undergrad. We were on a couch drinking and we watched this movie and I, I remember really liking it. I was really impressed with it. Was it Bradley Cooper? Yeah, and, Bradley Cooper uh, and uh, Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, no, Katniss Everdeen. Thank you. That's her, that's her real name. Jennifer Lawrence is who she plays in Hunger Games. Mystique. <laughs> Raven. Um, <laughs> yeah. So so th there's a scene. I saw it. I only saw it once, and I was not drunk. Um, I remember kind of being like okay with it, but there's a scene at the end because I'm pretty sure they they enter the dance competition. And then the climax of the movie is the dance competition, and they make a bet with somebody. I don't remember who, but it's like they don't have to win the dance competition. They just have to get a cumulative score over a certain amount. And they end up, like, they, they come in last in the dancing competition, but the judges give them, like, a two, a two and a half, and a three. And that's enough for them to win the bet. And so the judges, like, hold up the cards, and the audience, like, has, there's a hush over it, and they're like, oh, they didn't do so good. And Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence are like, yes! Yes! And they're, like, <laughs> freaking out, and it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, so I, I really don't remember, because I don't even remember a dance competition. <laughs> that was, like, the point of the movie. They were practicing for the dance competition. I, I, I think that what I remember is that they were both mentally unwell. That Yeah, that, that was definitely the, the setup of that movie yeah <laughs> that's about all i remember i think i think there's a point in that movie where they're jogging maybe yeah bradley cooper is jogging and he wears like the garbage bags over him to sweat more yeah and yeah, yeah, I remember yeah. That. it's a very it's a very quirky movie and that's kind of what david o russell is kind of known for but silver lining playbook certainly hit a lot better than i heart huckabees did because i think like i said it, i heart huckabees has fallen by the wayside and i think even it's still got mixed to positive reviews like it's no one really hates it no one really loves it in the critical sphere um but i think it's something that is worth revisiting hence why we're discussing it today and also because it has one of my favorite things behind the scenes when people yell at each other <laughs> there's a very famous youtube video of lily tomlin being very passive aggressive lily tomlin playing the um the female existential detective Vivian Jaffe, and uh, she she's like being very passive aggressive between shots, and she's like, "I want to do this, I want to do that, I'm trying to help the movie." And David O. Russell is like, "No, do this, do what I tell you." And then David O. Russell just blows up at her, calls her a cunt, and he's like, just screaming. He like leaves sets, comes in the set in other doors, and he just continues to scream at her. Fuck you! 
I'm just trying to fucking help you. Do you understand me? No, no, you're not. I'm being a fucking collaborator. I'm just trying to help you figure out the fucking picture. Hey, bitch. I'm not here to be fucking yelled at. I worked on this fucking thing for three fucking years. Not to have some fucking cunt yell at me in front of the fucking crew when I'm trying to fucking help you, bitch. Figure it out yourself. Well, I have to. Yeah, fuck yourself. I have a weird infatuation with behind-the-scene movie blow-ups. I love it for some reason. <laughs> he look, in the video clip I saw, he, like, kicks some papers off the desk. Yes. He's, he's real pissed. Oh, yeah. And I, I especially love at the start of that video when things are getting tense... Dustin Hoffman, you see him just kind of walk off screen like he doesn't want to be involved. And then when the blow-up happens, you see, like, the, the crew hands just, like, going to everybody, like, waving them away. They're like, come on. They're like, Let, let's move away from this. Like, you just got to let it happen, you know? It's like it's like an oil fire or something. Just, like, let it burn itself out, you know? <laughs> so so this movie does have some, some background. There's some other background I want to talk about as we get to it. Um, but if you've never seen this movie... Definitely check it out. I don't think it's anywhere you can stream, but of course you can rent it for a few bucks on Amazon. Um, it is definitely interesting as if you are into, you know, weird existential comedy and maybe just some black comedy in general. So with that being said, I'm very interested because I think I'm correct when I say this. You had never seen this movie before yesterday, Ben. That and is correct. And I, I need to know... What did you think of it? What's your top line thoughts before we get into any ideas? Were you, were you, did you hate it? Did you love it? Did you question your existence? Did you get that balloon thing and whack yourself in the face so you had to stop thinking while you were watching it? <laughs> um, I, I think the first few seconds of the film sums up my opinion. No, I, uh, I actually. <laughs> I actually really, really enjoyed it. Oh, um, wow, pro- right on. Pro- probably s- the the point where I was sold, where I was like, this is probably going to be a good experience. That always happens for me. I'm like, if I sit down to watch a movie I've never seen, there's a moment about 10 to 15 minutes in where I'm just like, I'm either going to hate this or this is going to be okay. And the point where I was like, this is going to be okay is uh, is when he's like talking to Vivian Jaff for the first time. Um, and, he, and she says, have you ever transcended time and space? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, no, just time. No, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> exactly. Have you ever transcended space and time? Yes. No. Uh, time, not space. No, I don't know what you're talking about. I have to, I have to agree with you. J- Jason Schwartzman as, you know, our, ostensibly our main character, even though I think there's a lot of balance between a lot of characters in this movie, he is amazing. I, I've always loved Jason Schwartzman. In, you know, he's been in um, the Darjeeling Limited with um, the Wes Anderson movie. He's like a Wes Anderson kind of regular. I've always really liked him. But in this movie, the way that he delivers some of his dialogue is so fluid to the point where he's like not even pausing between sentences sometimes. And it's like you have to strive to keep up with what he's talking about. Like I think in that same scene, he says something like, how long have you been doing this? 17 years, 350 cases. Oh, wow, that's great. I'm going to need to ask you to not go to my workspace because it's a little tenuous right now. And I'm just, and I'm just like, oh, my God. Like, it's, it's like it's so fast, and I love Definitely that. Definitely a sudden subject change. 
It's just like it could make me look unstable, and I could I could like lose my job or whatever. Yes, yes. Oh yeah, I I think you know that that's one of the things I really love about this movie, and it hooked me right away, is because it, it starts so it just gets into it. There's no bullshit, you know. We get the the setup that he's this open spaces coalition. He saves the rock with the caution yeah. tape around it, and he said, he's like, <laughs> "I want to read a poem to commemorate this." No one sits. Like this like rock this sits. Rock sits. <laughs> you rock, rock. And then, and then it's like, it just throws you right into it because he's like, he says to his coworker, he's like, I gotta go. I got an appointment to talk about this African guy. And his coworker says, what African guy? And he goes, exactly, what African guy? And it's just like, you're thrown into the deep end immediately. And then you get him talking to Vivian and he's like, I, I got my coincidence. It's a three-parter. Here we go. This time, this time, African guy. And I'm just like, oh, I'm like, this is beautiful. There's no bullshit. It's just happening. And you don't know what's happening, but it's happening. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, there's not any setup at all uh, to the point that it, it takes you, I don't know, it took me some amount of time to, like, understand his relationship with Brad Stand and, like, how Brad Stand was involved in his life. It's like, oh. I, was wa- I was watching through it and I was like, so this is a guy that he had dinner with one time, and then like <laughs> I, was, I don't know. I, um, but yeah, definitely. Like they don't they don't dick around. They get right into it, and I and I do have a soft spot in my heart for movies like that. Oh, don't yeah. don't take that setup time. Yeah, and I think I think you know that's something I want to talk a lot about is the idea that the, the way that this story unfolds. One, it throws you right into it, but then it's like it, it's not quite like a Rashomon type of thing where we where we figure things out later, it's almost a little non-linear in the sense that, you know, Vivian says something like, how did you find us? And he goes, I went to this restaurant. I didn't have a jacket, so they gave me one, and your card was in there. And you see him in, like, the flashback, take the card out, look at it, and then someone is, like, off screen, Jude Law is like, hey, I'm Brad Stan, and he goes, hi, and they shake hands and it cuts. But then when Dustin Hoffman puts him in, like, the body bag, it goes back to the continuation of that scene when he's like sitting down with Brad and then it does that a third time later on and it's yep. like you don't we don't just get a scene of their first meeting we get these three cut-ups of their meeting that is paralleling how we know these characters interact in the story because the first time there's nothing about Brad yet and so he just gets the card and they meet Brad and then once he gets in the body bag and you start to realize that you know Jason Schwartzman is just like a pissed off motherfucker all the time because of Brad, you understand that, like, Brad is playing him. And then when Brad comes into his life and, like, gets the detectives, you kind of finish that bit. And he talks about um, Naomi Watts, Miss, Miss Huckabees. And, oh, it's, it's just, like, it's, it's a, such a wonderful way to tell a story that we don't get enough of these days. Uh, what's, what's the thing when he comes out of it? Like, there's, there's all these people laughing at me. I'd keep cutting them up with machetes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it just stressed me out. I, and then Brad showed up, and Darlene showed up, and I'd cut him all with machetes. <laughs> oh yeah. So, so but, before we get too far, I do have to say, um, just to, to make a quick relation, um, when when Albert is describing his coincidences, the first time he sees the African guy is when he goes into the the uh, the headshots, the stills, yeah, and the autographs. Shot yeah. yeah, and he says that the tall African guy. He lists off, he's like, he's getting pictures and autographs of these people, and one of the people he lists is Morris Chestnut. In comes this tall African guy, he's like 18 years old or something. You know, he's in there getting photos of Morris Chestnut, Shaquille O'Neal, Jim Carrey. Okay. Who is one of the lead roles 
in Like Mike from last week. So look at that, ah, everybody. Nice. <laughs> he plays Tracy Reynolds. So yeah, I, I had to had to get that in there. Um, so I got Shaq. I got, I got Shaq. Yes. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and then oh yeah, this so he's like he's like I'm, he's like hey asshole, I'm gonna ruin you. You stupid pussy. We're gonna fire you. I got Shaq. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. So I don't think, look at me. Don't look. Yeah, that's another good top line item. Of course, we'll talk about cinematities later on, but I think you know, just as generality, this is a this is a strange movie, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like, I mean, like only... you said, it's not it's it's non sequitur. Like, it's not a sequential. Yeah, and yeah. even even some of the editing and the and the special effects of like the of like the cutout, like the South Park style things when he like chops people up with the machetes, like it looks like he's just hacking paper away. And the scenes right. where, like, the eyes and, and particles are blending everywhere. Like, this is just, this is, I mean, my type of movie. This is what I want to see. <laughs> yeah, but then there are all these smaller gaps. <laughs> so, so yeah. So, um, I guess I guess since I prefaced this whole thing, we've talked a little bit about the movie and the setting, setup of it. But, like I said, I don't think anybody really knows what this movie is. To summarize it is a little difficult, but I think the logline is basically... People hire existential detectives to investigate the meaning of, of their life, but battling schools of existential philosophical thought come into frame and throw these investigations for a loop? Is, is that a good way to summarize it? Um, I, I, would, I wouldn't say... I, so yes, the, the, battling, uh, the battling sense of nihilism with existentialism is, is definitely a key part of the of the movie, but I wouldn't say that the nihilism interferes with the investigation so much as it helps deliver it to the place where it can finally end. That that's a good, that's a good way to say it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess maybe, um, I was thinking more of the, the two schools of thought interfere with the others investigation type of thing. Uh, yes. I mean, in the movie, yeah, yes, yeah. I would definitely say that that's what happens. But yes, it, it, uh, that's it, how it's portrayed. Yeah. The, we will have to talk about the end of the movie where we get the great line where Jason Schwartzman's like, you two work together, don't you? And they're like, <laughs> we can assure you we fucking hate each other. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's, it's very, you know, not only is it, I think, you know, existential about these characters, I think there is a great kind of grandiose scale of, of, you know, talking about these kind of extremes of existentialism. Like, do you think that everything's the same, we're all connected, or do you think that everybody's different and we're isolated? And that's a, that's a pretty interesting premise for a... 2004 like co- comedy movie <laughs> definitely it's not what you expect from comedy I'll, i will i will definitely have to agree with that yeah because we get you know i and the other thing i like about this movie is that it owns it it's not subtle about that like it really is just in your face where we get the lines from like mark Wahlberg's wife when she's leaving him and she's like if nothing matters how can i matter i just want to live my life and he's like we're all alone miserable and isolated and it's just like it's just right there in your face. Like you cannot misconstrue what these I, people I think, are thinking. I think he says something like, "I don't know if nothingness matters or if if yeah." He's like, "Baby, that's what matters. I'm trying to figure out." <laughs> I want you to be here with me. So I mean, he's kind of by wanting her to be there with him. He's he's kind of contradicting the idea that nothing matters. Yes. In, in that scene, because uh, I, I guess we have to talk about. I I, I would say the best character in the movie, the best performance in the movie, Marky Mark himself. Like, he shines in this movie, 
as the existential crisis co- combined with an absolute obsession about petroleum use. <laughs> Like it's, every scene, he's just like he brings up petroleum in some way or another, and his introductory scene is one of my favorite in the movie when his wife is leaving him, and like the other firefighters are helping like the wife move out or somebody move out. I'm not sure who's moving out or why there's so much shit on the front lawn, but the the daughter's there because Mark Wahlberg has a wife and daughter, and Mark Wahlberg has the great line where he's like he's like, "Babe, you got to keep asking questions." He's like, he's like, kids in Indonesia work in factories and are going blind to make mommy shoes that she buys at the mall and uses petroleum. And the daughter's like, I don't want the children to work in factories. I don't Making want them to stuff. go blind. <laughs> and that's the point where I'm just like dying laughing in this movie. And then he's Absolutely. like, and he, it, everybody's like yelling at each other, the kid's screaming, and it does the great cut to Mark Wahlberg where he goes, Mommy doesn't ask because mommy doesn't mommy care. Mommy doesn't care. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, look at this. Look at this. Do you know where these come from? Yeah, my closet. The Indonesia. Store. In- Baby, this is the truth, okay? Little girls like you, they have to work in dark factories where they go blind for $1.60 a month just to make mommy her pretty shoes. Can you even imagine that, Caitlin? I don't want the children to work in factories. Don't listen, yeah, Daddy. Daddy is crazy. crazy. Daddy's not crazy, baby. The world is crazy. Shut up! It's important don't to ask these questions. Mommy doesn't ask because mommy doesn't care. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, oh, yeah. Mark Wahlberg is so. Even that later scene when him and Albert meet, we have that weird, like, shaman woman who's, like, singing and getting translated. And she has this whole monologue that's being translated. And then Mark no. Wahlberg goes, I don't know what the fuck any of you are talking about. I thought we were going to talk about petroleum. <laughs> no rabbit in the oven. We mashed locust and made bread. Uh, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. I, I thought we were going to talk about patrolling. <laughs> Definitely. And, and there's like, you get one question and then he asked three more questions. And then like, that was three questions. <laughs> yes. So that was, that was the, what I was torn when I did my introduction for this. I did the, I'm a fat sad sack that can't stop talking about geckos. I was tempted to do the, I have no idea what we're talking about. I thought we were going to talk about petroleum. That was my, that was my, that was my decision. Uh, that would have been really good. I, I would have, I mean, I, fat sad sack talks about geckos is pretty good too. So Maybe if he stopped talking about geckos, he could get a job. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. I'm we'll, a great we'll older brother. To, yeah, we'll have to get to Jude Law. That's some he's a, he's another great character. But so so Mark Wahlberg is having it's clear that he's been involved with these existential detectives longer than Albert has. Yes. And and as we learn later, he's actually paying for it where Albert is pro bono. And and so um Albert's having a rough time. He doesn't really understand what's going on. His his job is getting pushed out as the director of the Open Spaces Coalition. Uh, by Jude Law, who's just corporate man, Huckabee's corporate dude. And they he eventually is like, I want more. I need you to solve my case. And they say something like, okay, it's time for you to meet your other. And as Mark Wahlberg describes it, he's like, what's an other? He's like, I don't know, some type of fucking buddy system, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and And this is, you know, as they say, I think it's really interesting in the storytelling perspective because – when Albert's freaking out and he wants answers for his coincidences and he doesn't like that the detectives are going to his work and influence or impacting those things, he says something like, you know, I want answers. And then 
one of them, I think Dustin Hoffman is like he should meet his other, and Vivian's like, no, it's not, it's not right yet. It's, it's or, the other it, way around. Yeah, other way around because Dustin Hoffman knows that Mark Wahlberg has the book from the, the other uh, from Katerin. Uh, yeah, from yeah. Katerin uh, Vauban, and so he's like he's going down a real bad path, <clears> and then they meet him up, and there's that great scene at Moncala Hour. Where they're hanging out, and Mark Wahlberg's like, I'll make a distraction, you go get the African guy's address. And that's kind of like the, our big break. That's where I think the movie starts to really move, because now our characters have some agency. Like, like Albert wants agency, but he's kind of just like, I'm a loser in my job, I'm getting pushed out, I'm waiting for these detectives to give me something. And then Mark Wahlberg's like that catalyst for him to be like, okay, let's do something. Let's, let's get out there and actually answer these questions. It's, uh, he's definitely a catalyst for for Albert. Is his name yeah, right? Albert, the, yep. To to like actualize his identity and who he is and and take charge in his life. Uh, he seems like he's n- not that he's not taking charge because he did start this charter, but at some point he lost control of his life. Yeah, yeah, and and that that we'll, we'll have to talk about when we talk about Jude Law. I guess now because once they break away from Moncala Hour and have the African guys address. We get to probably my favorite scene in the movie, which is the dinner I, scene. I actually have to interject just before that. Okay, like he's getting he's getting the file and he knocks some kind of melon off of the uh, <laughs> off the cabinet. And like there are like in the opening scene when he first meets Dustin Hoffman's character, like there's a watermelon on a table in the background. Yeah, and that <laughs> I think that goes into the there's there's just some little touches in this movie that might mean something, might just be goofs, like the melon thing. And also, when Dustin Hoffman is introduced, when um, Lily Tomlin brings him into the office, oh God, this he, he, he wipes dirt into a manila folder and puts it in his drawer. <laughs> like, he just wipes some of the dirt, not all of the dirt. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was, I think that was thing, the, probably the thing that made me laugh the hardest when I was watching this movie. <laughs> it's like, it's like yeah. that's the ride we're going on. Let's fucking like, do it. What the hell am I saying? Like, what is that, you know? But, so... Before we get to them breaking off and the dinner scene with the family and the African guy, which is, like I said, probably my favorite scene in the movie, we do have the, the setup of Jude Law, because now we've had that whole Brad scene at dinner. And, and basically, uh, Albert says something like he needed the Huckabee's corporate like oomph, like the corporate effort, to be able to get his Open Spaces Coalition some more, more power behind it. And so he goes mm-hmm. to Brad to kind of pair up, and, and Brad sets up the whole benefit which is going to, like, bring awareness to the open spaces and all that stuff. And Shania Twain is a MacGuffin in this movie. Like, she does show up at the end, but she's really, like, just a thing to move the plot along. <laughs> um, is that what a MacGuffin is? A, a plot mover? Yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's like some object, you know, like a, like the briefcase in Pulp Fiction. Ah, like yes. the, um, okay. Like the, the plans in Star Wars Rogue One, you know, that type of thing. Does she really move the plot forward? Is well, she... Well, I mean, she she doesn't eat chicken salad. She hates right. mayo. <laughs> she she hates. She threw up once. It's more of a. I would say Shania is more of a MacGuffin for Brad to push Albert out because, like, everybody loves the fact that everybody in the coalition loves the fact that Brad has been able to like get Shania Twain to back up this this uh, group or this or this uh, you know partnership co op whatever they call it coalition. Right. Coalition. Yeah. And so yeah, she's she's kind of a. Uh, a MacGuffin, but you know she only shows up at the end and beats up Brad, or at least hits him a little bit. <laughs> she remembered my name. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Brad, played by Jude Law, I love Jude Law. He's great. I, lo- I think I've loved him in everything I've seen. Um, even when he's in roles that aren't I approve of, he's still great. Like um, 
I don't I like him, but I don't like him as Watson in the in the Guy Ritchie Sherlock Holmes movies. You know, Robert Downey Jr. is Sherlock and he's Watson. I had forgotten that. Yeah, yeah. So he's Watson in both the movies, and I hated that because you know, the famous saying is why is Sherlock Holmes such a good detective? Because he has an idiot for a sidekick. And that movie flips it completely where Robert Downey Jr. is just a fucking, like, professional boxer as Sherlock Holmes. And Jude Law does all the actual detective work. (laughs) (laughs) And so even when I don't like roles and the way they portray characters that I'm familiar with, Jude Law is just great. Jude Law is also fantastic, keeping it topical. Have you ever seen Contagion? I have not. I would like to. It's a... It's... This time of the year, this time of our lives, is when you should watch Contagion because it actually comes from a, a bat. That's the origin of the of the disease in Contagion nice. is that uh, it comes from a bat that gets eaten at a uh, at a Asian market. I don't know if it's Chinese. Um, but, yeah, I'm wow. yeah, seriously. And so Jude Law is in it as, like, the conspiracy theorist who's, like, pushing homeopathic medicine is the cure. Like, it's something like he gets on a radio show and he's like, lavender is the cure for this disease. And it causes, like, riots where, like, at at grocery stores, people are trying to buy lavender extract and stuff like that. And he's really good as that, you know, kind of just fear-mongering role. Um, Even though I don't love that movie completely because it's so goddamn long, Jude Law's Uh, great. Jude Law's great in it. That's a problem. Long movies. Oh, yeah. So Jude Law is great in this film as well, playing the charming... Um, you know, kind of corporate, you know, guy that is trying to just get his way. And, and really, he doesn't care about the open spaces. He's trying to make his way up the corporate ladder at Huckabee's. Uh, excuse me, Fuckabee's. Um, he said Fuckabee's. And, uh, and so he, he is kind of trying to push Albert out. And even though it's not really explicitly stated till later in the movie, you can get that sense that he's poking at Albert for whatever reason. Definitely. And he joins up with the existential detectives just to get back at Albert and to really kind of make fun of him, it seems. And yeah. I, I love this shot when, you know, I think it's the second time, right before Mancala hour, when Albert leaves the office with Dustin Hoffman or Vivian and, and, uh, and Jude Law is there and he's reciting a poem and Albert starts freaking out and he's like, why did he get to write a poem? There's no gazelles in North America, Brad. Where's the African guy? I want to see the African guy. And Jude Law goes, what are you talking about, man? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's sheer, like... Getting, getting squashed by buildings is my thing. <laughs> it's my imagery, not yours. You my imagery, about yeah. This stuff. <laughs> yeah. It, it's so clearly, it played so well as he's not like a bully bully. He's like the passive aggressive bully. Like, what am I doing? Like, I, I'm not here to, against you, and you know? And it's just right. like, yes, you, you clearly are, you asshole. He's uh, trying to, like, socially undermine him. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and Jude That's, Law plays uh, it so well. It definitely. It's the, uh, the social aggressor type of, uh, type of character as opposed to the yes. physical aggressor, definitely. Yeah. And, and so Jude Law comes back in a ma- – he, he's more of a major character, I would say, later in the movie. Like, this first hour, you know, the first – I guess we should say it's a – it's like a solid, I think, 100 minutes, hour 40 without the credits. Um, and uh, Jude Law doesn't really come into play majorly as, like, a character. He's just an, an antagonist at the start. Um, but before we get to him being that antagonist, uh, this is the scene I want to talk about so long. Not on this podcast, just in general. When Albert and, and Mark Wahlberg... Oh, by the way, Mark Wahlberg's character is Tommy Corn. And his last name is spelled Corn, like actual C O R N. Oh, I didn't <laughs> like it's, know. It's Tommy Corn. 
I when like I heard it and I I just I don't know I my brain was like sound like it's just whatever sound like like, I I couldn't I couldn't really process what they were saying. You're like Uh, it's Marky Mark, you know that's all I need to know. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely how I saw it. It's like that's Mark Wahlberg's character, and that's (laughs) done. That's uh that's wannabe Keanu Reeves, and that's Jude Law. (laughs) Nice. So. So they, they go to uh, – on their bikes, of course, because they can't use petroleum. Uh, they go to the African guy's house because uh, Albert was able to get the address from his file. Um, like we said, that was our break, that he, he looks at his file, which is not allowed. They go to the African guy's house, and he's like, I got some questions to ask you. And he's like, you could be my guest for dinner, you know, that type of thing. But before we get to the dinner scene, I don't know if you noticed this, Ben. When, when they're talking – the other kids in like of the family and the neighborhood, they're playing basketball. Like they got a, yeah, a stand up hoop. Tommy plays basketball with them. Yes, but other than that, one of the little kids in the background, like a, a small child, like it is not an adult or anything. It's a small child who does not appear anywhere else in the movie, has a clearly fake goatee on, <laughs> like an overtly fake goatee. I did not see this. And I, I, every time I, once I picked up on this, like years ago, after seeing it a bunch of times, when I'm like looking in the background, I'm just like, what the fuck is this? This is like the wiping the dirt into the folder. There's just a little kid with a goatee, and it's so fake. There's one shot where you see him like fix it. Like he, he <laughs> makes sure it sticks on. And so it's like, it's never mentioned in the movie. I'm just like, is this just what this kid wanted to do? Is this just like, you know, they, they were like, yeah, just do whatever, kid. Put the goatee on. And, I don't think it has any, like, bearing on the movie. It's just the most insane thing to notice. And you're like, why does this, like, 12-year-old kid have a goatee? (laughs) We get a dinner scene, which seems to be happening in the middle of the day, because it's so bright out. (laughs) Definitely. Where where Mark Wahlberg and Albert are uh, Stephen, the African guy's guest for dinner with his adoptive family. And it turns out that he's a Sudanese refugee who has been taken in by this extremely religious family. And Albert and Tommy don't really care about this. They just want to get information from the African guy. But shit goes awry. And before yes. we talk about how they go awry, I'm sure Ben had to notice that the the son of this family yes, is Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill. Yeah. And I found that this is actually his first film appearance ever. Whoa. Yes. Okay. So, so take this with a grain of salt because I, I didn't do any extra digging. I found this on IMDb Trivia, which is always a little shaky. But apparently, as the story goes, um, when Jonah Hill was trying to make a name for himself, he was doing some like improv and, and plays and stand-up at a comedy club. And these, this, this guy kind of would go to it, and he came up to him one day, and he was like, I really like your stuff. You should meet my dad. And Jonah Hill was like, what the fuck? Like, why would anybody say this to me? Like, if you liked my set, why would you say you should meet my dad? But from whatever circumstances, Jonah Hill agreed, and he goes to dinner with this guy so he can meet his dad, and it turns out that the dad is Dustin Hoffman. So Dustin Hoffman's kids basically loved Jonah Hill before he was famous and got him to meet Dustin Hoffman, and Dustin Hoffman told David O. Russell, the director of this movie, we should get this kid apart, and that's his first film appearance ever. Okay. So, yeah. So, Jonah Hill, um, he reaches the Omega level in his cell phone video game in this scene. <laughs> and we get the great line of, of the African guy. is like, you cannot reach the Omega level. <laughs> 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 you cannot reach Omega level. Um, 
the the other uh, notable performance in this scene is that the father uh, is played by the great Richard Jenkins. Uh, he's been in a bunch of stuff. I don't know if there's anything you would know him from exactly, Ben, but he's been in a whole ton of shit, and he's great. And he kind of, him and Mark Wahlberg perform like a master class in acting in this scene because it starts all kind of nice and neat and formal, and Albert's trying to get some information, and, you know, they say grace at the start so we know they're religious. Um, Albert's trying to get some information, and the family comes back, and it's like, well, you know, how did you get involved with the existential detectives? And he's like, well, I have some questions. And the little girl's like, can't you just go to a church? And it's like, well, some people need other help. And he's like, yeah, you know, if my material form dies, which is more real, my form or my infinite form? So should I look past my habitual mind? And then they're like, we have a philosopher at the table. And the little girl's like, do we have to ask those questions? And the mom's like, oh, no, honey. Oh, oh, God, no. <laughs> and and it just devolves into everybody, like, fighting with each other. Because one side, and it's great. The way it's done is great because Albert is the one who's like, we can have a functioning economy without, you know, putting, uh, uh, demolishing and putting up buildings on every patch of land. And then, mm-hmm. and the father's like, you know, well, you're talking about socialism, which, which I definitely think is the jump. I, I think that's why I'm definitely on the side of, well, Ben and I know each other's ideas on religion and, and this type of philosophy. But I think the movie is playing it as the family is in the wrong. Because Albert's like, we can save some land with planning and still have all these good things you're saying. And then the family immediately is like, oh, you're a socialist. You're, you're a socialist. And it's like, no, that has nothing to do with socialism. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely like a caricature of, yes. of, of a Christian family who you know, automatically jumped. And it's, it's particularly relevant today with, uh, with you know, Bernie Sanders, the Democratic Socialist, being the, yes. the first uh, socialist to get any, any kind of traction in America in a long time. But uh, definitely, there's just like I remember hearing it with like Obamacare. It's like that's socialism. It's just like I mean, I guess that's your knee-jerk response yep, to everything. If you need a buzzword, that's fine. yeah. <laughs> so I definitely, I also like that. Um, you know, we get this, we get this kind of. You know, it's starting to get a little not awkward, even it's starting to get adversarial. And definitely. And you know, Jason Schwartzman, even uh, Albert, even goes on to that. Probably my my favorite line of of this whole scene, like the probably the favorite line in this in my favorite scene it might be the best bit of the movie where he's he's saying something he's like you can't demolish all this stuff and then if you do you won't know what happens when you look when, when you're in a meadow at sunset or at dusk and jonah hill is like what happens in the meadow at dusk and then <laughs> and the him and the mother jason Schwartzman keeps saying everything and the mother at the same time is going nothing and they're just <laughs> overlapping each other and when they're done they like tire themselves out mark Wahlberg goes like it's beautiful <laughs> no I'm not I'm talking about not covering every square inch of populated America with houses and strip malls until you can't even remember what happens when you stand in a meadow at dusk what, what happens in the meadow at dusk nothing. everything everything nothing. everything it's beautiful it's beautiful <laughs> nothing I, I love that idea too where like this this kid Jonah Hill who's been raised in this religious family he hears something this kind of not profound, but it's a little more heady in terms of just, like, respecting nature. It's not just yeah. being God-fearing. And he's like, and the way he delivers it, it's like, this was a, a sign to come of how good Jonah Hill would be and how he's so famous now, is because the way he delivers it, he's like, what happens to the meadow at dusk? 
Like, it, it seems real. Like, he really wants to know what happens in the meadow at dusk. <laughs> uh, I, I thought the the parallel between, you know, the mom yelling nothing and, and then uh, the main character yelling everything and, like, the, the battle between existentialism and nihilism that's present throughout the whole movie yes. is, like... Like that that scene definitely was just like another slap in the face with that you know this is the idea of the movie. Oh yeah, this, this is where I think this once, like I said before, once Albert and Mark Wahlberg break away from the first detectives, and they start to find things out for their, their own, and then later on we'll talk about when they meet up with Katarine. Like that's that's where the movie really fucking starts to move for me, where it's just like we're getting philosophical ideas from multiple perspectives. And it's so fast that we never even get a chance to, like, absorb them. And that's the great thing. It's like, you know, you take in this movie after it's done with all this information. And that's great. It's pretty interesting that it's the uh, Christian family that represents nihilism in this scene, though. Um, <laughs> yes. Because that is – nihilism is, like, exactly the opposite of Christian mentality. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, after, after Albert's done – he goes. He tries to calm himself down because he's getting. He knows he's getting worked up, and he tries to calm himself down. And what's the only thing to happen? Mark Wahlberg takes over. He starts yelling about petroleum. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, He. I don't know if he's trying to calm himself down so much. He's, oh no, he is. He's doing the, the the body bag thing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He's going. He's thinking about the blanket. But he uh, he just like goes quiet, like mid sentence or something. He just like yeah. stops talking. And I think and the Mark... little the little girl says something like, "Why did he close his eyes?" <laughs> <laughs> and then Mark Wahlberg starts yelling about petroleum, and yes. like him and the dad just go at it. Oh yeah, and and before the dad gets into it, I love. Well, the dad's already into it, but before dad and Mark Wahlberg, Richard Jenkins and Mark Wahlberg get into it, um, the the girl says something like. Like, Jesus will never be mad with us as long as we live with him in, his, in our heart. And Mark Wahlberg goes, he is very angry with you. I can tell you that for a fact. And I'm just like, holy shit. <laughs> like, that, that's, that's a big push at a dinner table with religious family. <laughs> Definitely. And, then, and I think then, then the dad gets into it and he's like, why? Why are you saying that? He's like, you're, he's like, you're the destroyer. You're misleading these kids. I saw that SUV in your, in your, in your, in your driveway. And the dad's like, you want to know how many miles per gallon I get? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, he, he definitely is, like, very pushy that his way of life is is okay and not harmful. Oh, yeah. Um, which is understandable, but it's uh, it does make for an interesting fight at this dinner table. Oh, oh it's, it's and, amazing. And I think the well, scene is capped off perfectly. The, not, maybe not capped, but the, the climax of the scene is when the mother says something like, how can we be bad? We took in a Sudanese refugee. And it's like, that is, that is exactly like the religious mindset. Like, how could anything we've ever done be wrong? We've done one good thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, it's not just the religious mindset. Like, there's the whole, I have a black friend. And sure, sure. It's, there's like a bunch of different, um, it's, it's, uh, it's adjacent to moral licensing. I don't yes. know if you're familiar with what moral licensing is, audience. You fucking idiots. Tell them, um, yes. Oh, oh yeah, this, since this is Ben's first main episode on the podcast, do not feel bad about disenfranchising the listeners. That's a regular <laughs> thing we do here. So, yeah, Good. you fucking idiots, buckle up. Ben's about to define moral licensing. <laughs> <laughs> so moral licensing is, is when uh, when we do something good, it makes us feel like we don't have to, to do good in the future. Because we've already done our good deed. So, like, one example of it is, is uh, 
they did an experiment where they had these people cleaning up litter in a park. And uh, when and then later, like a homeless guy came up and asked them for some for some water. And there there were bottles of water that were there for the people cleaning up the litter. And the people who cleaned up the litter were more likely to turn the homeless person away than than the people who were just like dicking around, not cleaning up the litter. Who who um, because like I should I, I set it up a little bit wrong. They were there for a photo shoot, and it just so happened, just so happened in air quotes, that the uh, that the scene was was you know littered, sure. and so the, so they had the opportunity to either help or don't, and the people who decided to help were way more likely to not give any money and not give any beverages to the homeless guy. Okay. While, while the people who didn't help were way more likely to be like, yeah, hey, here's some water. Like it's not even mine. I don't give a shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. So moral licensing is is when you when you decide that you don't have to be good later because you were good prior. Gotcha. And, yeah, uh, no, that, that's a good point. That's exactly kind of what this family seems to be doing because, you know, the whole thing that Richard Jenkins, the dad, says is he's like, you know, urban sprawl is a functioning economy, and he's just, like, steadfast in that. And it's like, we've done one good thing, you know, so that, what, like, what does it matter about the open spaces? Like, it, it doesn't, it, it's almost an extension to the fact that he's, like, urban sprawl just you know he doesn't even understand that there could be like layers to it or it's a sliding scale he's just like urban sprawl is good like more malls are good more huckabees is good you know well and his his job is dependent on urban sprawl yes he's the electric electrical engineer or whatever Mm -hmm. so he he even says as much he's just like this is my livelihood um and it's not at all weird that somebody would defend their livelihood as being okay oh sure um it's it's almost an, it's not even almost it is an attack on your identity for somebody to be like your your job is bad and the thing that makes your job possible is bad and like yes. just be like fuck you and also fuck you again. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that's a good point. So, oh yeah, there's yeah, so this so this scene is so dense and so definitely. funny at the same time. Like, <laughs> it's it's it's, un, it's unbelievable, you know, when I think about it. It's like how did it's, they pull this off? It's really well done, you know, as far as movie scenes are concerned. Uh, the the fact that they're so like just just to to really emphasize this they are guests in this house yep. of the Sudanese refugee that these people have taken in and they are adults and the Sudanese refugee is not an adult yeah what apparently. they say he's like eighteen or something like yeah, that yeah <laughs> so so they have come in here this kid has no idea who they are and they just start arguing with his parents. <laughs> Or it's, it's like, is you know the people who took him in, and at some point the dad is just like, "You should be ashamed of yourself." To and, then the the, kid. and then he's like, "Sorry, mom. Sorry, dad." And the mom's like, "Oh, now look, now he's sad." And he's like, "I'm sorry, Steve-O. You didn't know better." <laughs> <laughs> and and also the way that once again to the the testament to the storytelling of this is that you know we get it, it's a whole table, so you know there's not really like a, a hundred eighty degree rule we can file. We just have you know different fixed cameras and we get different shots. But it's like Mark Wahlberg and the dad start to get into it, and then it cuts from them, and that's when Jonah Hill pulls out his phone, and he's like, 366 points, and I reached the Omega level. No, you cannot reach the Omega level. You cannot reach Omega level. And then it just cuts back immediately to Richard Jenkins and Mark Wahlberg, and he's like, God gave us oil. Like, how could, I, how could God's gift be wrong? And Mark Wahlberg's like, we gave your brain, too. You seem to fuck that up pretty good. <laughs> and it's just like we get this quick reprieve of just the kids goofing off. And it goes right back into the fighting, and it's just like that—that that makes it seem so much more natural, you know. It's not just a big blow-up scene. They're, these kids are still just like, who gives a fuck what, what the parents are talking about? 
So you uh, you mentioned you know he he is the thing about like God gave you a brain you fucked that up too. Uh, I I really like the the addition of that into the scene because it it really kind of highlights this thing that I that I encounter a lot in my life which is like I'll I'll have a particular stance on something mm-hmm. and then I see somebody agreeing with my stance and I'm like all right they agree with me and then they say something really fucking stupid <laughs> and I'm just like God damn it I wish you d- you would be better if you didn't agree with me. <laughs> yeah. uh, and that comment about the brain kind of kind of falls right in there. It's like that is irrelevant to yep. to what he said before that. It's like you know he, he his his stance is like this this oil is a gift we can use it. And Mark Wahlberg's like, well, you're not using your brain. It all is also a gift. It's like that's that's not that's doesn't counter the the previous argument. It's like, oh yeah, oh yeah. It's 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 great. To, it's kind of like you know this movie does a good job at even though I said earlier you know they're they're setting it up. That this the movie wants us to side with our main characters with Albert and Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. It, but it, it's doing a good job. But even though the movie's telling us who to root for, it's still telling us, kind of subtly, kind of not subtly, that everybody's fucking wrong in some way. That's kind of might may, might be the overall theme of the movie is that everybody's wrong to some extent until Definitely. the very end where they start to blend everything together. Yeah. None of the well, all of the characters are. Ex- extreme representations, or or I should say, representations of extremes. Yes, they're, definitely. They're they're not. I, I would I take back extreme representations because often the characters are are pretty normal esque. Like they're they're very good normal characters, but mm-hmm. they are representations of extreme belief systems. Yes, uh, yes. Like everything matters. Nothing matters. God saying that I'm okay is all that matters. Like. You know, so they are all representations of extremes, but at the same time, they're very believable characters. Absolutely, absolutely. So the the writing was, at least in that respect, was very well done. Oh yeah. So so um, I, if there's if uh, unless you have anything else about the dinner scene, I think we've covered it in great detail. <laughs> I'll probably yeah, put the entire like five minute clip in because like, I I cannot I, I cannot express explicitly how good the performances in this scene are. And how well done the editing is to make it seem so natural and so awkward and aggressive and just fantastically done. (laughs) Definitely. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. 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 Steven, how'd you end up working as a doorman? Which is uh, our immigration agreement. We must work. The building supervisor hired Steven as a member of our congregation. He was so skinny when he moved in here. Skeleton oh, man from Africa. That's Skeleton man. What did we say about hey, that? I don't want to hear it again. There will be no internet tonight. He didn't know what a can opener was. Right. He opened cans with a big knife like Patience. at the refugee camp. Right. And there aren't lines roaming around here, but there were in Sudan, and the orphan boys got chased. You and always one get time, this wrong, big cricket. alligator bit his friend's head off. It's a crocodile. Off. There's no alligators in Africa. He wanted to know where all the meat comes from since he didn't see any cows right. around. Guys, there that's enough. No Albert, what brought you to the philosophical club? You mean the existential detectives? Sounds like a support group. Why can't he use the church? Sometimes people have additional questions to be answered. Like what? Well, um, for instance, if the forms of this world die, which is more real than me that dies or than me that's infinite? Can I trust my habitual mind or do I need to learn to look beneath those things? <laughs> Sounds like we got a philosopher. Philosopher, we are. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have to ask those kinds of questions to him, <laughs> No, honey. What happened to the cat, Albert? How, how, how'd you know about my cat? The cat was killed by curiosity. <laughs> right. 
They can't. Albert, what do you do? Yeah, I'm the director of the Open Spaces Coalition. We fight suburban sprawl. What's suburban sprawl? Why don't you ask Stephen if they could use a little suburban sprawl in Sudan? Excuse me, Dad. Industry, houses, jobs, uh, restaurants, walks. medicine. You can preserve a lot of open spaces and have jobs for people with the. I beg your pardon, Albert. I wasn't finished. Sorry, sir. Clothes, videos, toys, cheeseburgers, cars, a functioning economy. You can still have a functioning economy and preserve open spaces with a little planning. Yeah. Socialism. Socialism. Complete disaster. Social. Theodore Roosevelt was a socialist, and William Butler Theodore Gates, Roosevelt. Elizabeth Bishop, Henry David Thoreau, Robinson Jeffers, the National Geographic Society, suppose they're all socialists. You're, you're talking about socialism. No, I'm not. I'm talking about not covering every square inch of populated America with houses and strip malls until you can't even remember what happens when you stand in a meadow at dusk. What you're happens in the meadow at dusk? Nothing. Everything. Everything. Nothing. Nothing. Everything. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I work for an electrical engineering firm, son, and we do a lot of commercial and residential contracts. And if development stops, so does my paycheck. Then Stephen couldn't be here as our guest, could he? So your ideas hurt Stephen. I'm not hurting Stephen. That's an outrageous accusation. Don't use that tone of voice. Well, I think you started that tone, sir, and I think it's entirely possible for your engineering firm to have jobs for people, preserve open spaces, have contracts, do the. Whoa. What's he doing? Why is he closing his eyes? Do you have a job, Tom? I'm a firefighter. Oh, God bless you. A hero. I'm not a hero. We'd all be heroes if we quit using petroleum, though. Excuse me? You say you're Christians living by Jesus' principles, but are you? Yeah, of course what? we are. What? Jesus is never mad at us if we live with him in our hearts. I hate to break it to you, but he is. He most definitely is. All right, that, that, uh, that's enough. Stephen, I don't know what this is about. Why? They're here. Sorry, Mom. Sorry, Dad. I did not know. Steve-O, I'm so disappointed. It's all right. No, look, look, he's sad. Look, he's I'm sad. I'm sorry, Steve-O. My bad. You didn't know. You should be ashamed of yourself. I should be what? You should be ashamed of yourself. And why is that? Why should I be ashamed of myself? You're a hypocrite. I don't know why. You're misleading these children. Because <sighs> you're the destroyer, man. How am I the destroyer? I saw that SUV out there. Oh, oh, my car's the destroyer. You want to know how many miles per gallon I get? Steven, I really need to ask you a question. It's why I came here. Why are autographs so important to you? She's a pastime with this family. We used to have taught to me. Jack and I'll carry on. It's just for fun. It's for entertainment. No games at the table, please. Yes. 260. An average steel mega level. Destroy, destroy, An average destroy, mega level. God gave us oil. He gave it to us. How can God's gift be bad? Well, I don't know. He gave you a brain, too, and you messed that up pretty damn good. I so. want you sons of bitches out of my house now. If Hitler were alive, he'd tell you not to think about oil. You're the Hitler! We took a Sudanese refugee into our home! You did. But how did Sudan happen, ma'am? Could it possibly be related to dictatorships that we support for some stupid reason? You shut up. You get out. You shut up. Come on, let's get out of here. Later, Steve. God bless you. Is that... Is that before or after Mark Wahlberg tells us about September? Ooh, I. So it's. I think it's. I think it's maybe the bike ride over there. I think or the bike, so. Or it the might, bike ride after that. It might be the bike ride after that because after that is when um, because um, they leave the house. Oh, and I guess the, the cap of the actual cap of the dinner scene is Richard Jenkins like get out of my house and they get out of the house and you get a shot of them closing the door and both of them are like. What the hell was that? Like, yeah, can you believe what was going on in there? <laughs> and then, and then they realize that the two Vivian and um, Al and I forget uh, Dustin Hoffman and Lily Tomlin they were listening in, and he was like, "You get anything good? You get anything good in there?" And they bring up thing about the cat, which will come in the next scene, and then right. they bike right away. That might be when he says the September thing. 
I didn't write it down in my notes, but I, that always stuck out to me. Where yeah, Mark Wahlberg says something at some point where he's like, "That September thing." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this movie came out in two thousand four. Two thousand four. So it's, yes. It's so. pr- it's pretty likely he's talking about nine eleven. It's it's gotta be. It's gotta like be. he's firefighters was a big deal around. So it's like he's just like. He talks about 9-11 by saying that September thing. That September thing. Yes, I'll have to find the clip and put it in here. But, yeah, he definitely says that in one of his rants about petroleum and stuff like that. Well, it turns out he could use a connection sooner than later. Tommy has been working with us since that, the big September thing. Uh, he's going to be your other. What, what is it exactly? Well, I got buddy system, I think. And I think at one point he's complaining about cystic fibrosis or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think he's like... He's like explaining to Albert why his views changed, and he's just like that September thing. That September thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, like, I mean, I guess that also could indicate that he's been with these detectives for multiple years. That's um, true. Yeah. It, it's not clear how long he's been with them, but he's definitely, like you said, been with them longer than Albert. Yeah. It might. It might be in the next scene because after they leave the the house, the the, the African guy's house, um, they're they're both upset. Albert and Mark Wahlberg are like, "This is all pain. This is nothing." And he's like, I got to go. I got this meeting at Huckabee's with the Open Spaces Coalition. And yeah. and the Jaffees are chasing them. And that's when the Jaffees see Katarine in the car. And they're like, oh, my God, this is so bad. What, what are you doing in America? Yeah, she never, she never leaves Paris. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the next scene is when Mark Wahlberg and Albert go to the meeting. And they're, like, standing up in front of the room. And Albert's, like, everybody's – I love that scene because Albert's, like, finally there as the director of the coalition to talk about these things. And literally the entire audience is, where's Brad? Brad's not here yet. Where's Brad? We can't start our meeting without Brad. And then Albert's like, I would like to start with a poem. <laughs> <laughs> like the number one thing they hate about him. Yes, it, yes. <laughs> definitely not not the best move. And oh, yeah. uh, what's Warren, I guess, is yeah, the, the... the head of like the national open thing. Spaces open Spaces group. Coalition where Albert's like, directing like, the chapter. You're out of the charter. Yeah, yeah. That whole scene is because Mark Wahlberg goes off the deep end and he's like, petroleum, cystic fibrosis, civil wars in Sudan. That might be where he says the September thing or it might have been in the bike ride. I think it's somewhere around there. But then like Jude Law shows up and they're like, Brad, Brad. And I think Mark Wahlberg like pushes him or punches him. And then they're like, I want to take a vote. He pushes him on the ground, yeah. Yeah, and he's like, we're going to get rid of Albert as the director. And they do. And that's when Albert like starts to break down and – as they're leaving the Huckabees building, we get the great scene where, you know, all of them are there. Like, Dustin Hoffman and Lily Tomlin are there, and they're like, you need to keep working with us. But then Katarine is there as well, and they're, they're all, like, converging, and uh, Albert and Mark Wahlberg just kind of run away on their bikes, and they try oh. to lose the Jaffees. Yeah. And and then that's where we get, I think, the another point where I really start to fucking love this movie, when they finally hook up with Katarine. She's like, this, this is, this is, I, I can help you. These people didn't help you. I can help you. And he's like, you need to show me results. And Mark Wahlberg pops into the car, eating a Twizzler for no reason. And he's like, this is the place to be, Albert. <laughs> so I think that you just kind of skimmed past one of my favorite parts of the okay, movie. Okay. Uh, and that is when they are leaving the the Huckabee corporate place. Their bikes are like at the front desk. <laughs> You gotta sign and your Al- bikes out. <laughs> Albert just grabs his bike and leaves, and the guy's like, "You gotta sign your bike out." He like runs after him. And, yeah, uh, I think Mark clipboard Wahlberg, ends up on the ground. Yeah, Mark Wahlberg like he goes to the desk and he signs the clipboard, and then he fucking whips the clipboard across the desk <laughs> into the wall. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, that that is that is great. I love that one. That was it's just another one of those like little gems they put in the movie. Yep, yep. Oh yeah, yeah. Mark Wahlberg is just the the most aggressive person, and it's fantastic. (laughs) So I have to watch some Mark Wahlberg movies tonight. Oh yeah. So so they 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 get they meet up with Katarine, and Albert's like, "You got to do something for me. Like this has been useless." Like what? What are what are my answers? What's my coincidences? Because that's his big thing. He's like, "Why do I keep seeing this African guy?" Yeah. And probably in some of the most oh, that actually I want to bring that up because whenever they first run into the African guy outside his house, like when they go to his house, he he says, "Is this the fourth coincidence?" Yes, like he knows about. It. He's like, "Is this the fourth coincidence?" <laughs> and he's like, "No, I actually came here to meet you." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that that's some some shit. Oh yeah, and so. Yeah, I think I, I, for, I forgot to mention that because I was distracted by the kid with the goatee. <laughs> <laughs> so this this is probably I, I would cite this this scene when when uh, Jason Schwartzman shows up at his parents' apartment and Katarine shows up and does the whole thing like here's his journal about the cat and he's like you were embarrassed to feel sad in your own home. Yeah, I I don't think this is like a great scene in terms of performances. I mean the performances are fine. Nothing stands out to me as like amazing, but in terms of writing. I fucking yeah. love this because she's she does the whole thing where it's like, you know, my she gets the the mother to read the journal. Who by the way, the mother in that scene is Jason Schwartzman's real life mother. Oh, neat. Yeah. And so so they actually have that mother-son relationship going on and Jason's just like, I don't want to talk about this. This is embarrassing and she's like, that's the point. You were embarrassed in your own home. Like like your mother yeah. made you feel bad. It was more important for her to have a cup of coffee with a stranger than it was to actually deal with your sadness about your death of your cat. And then the whole thing with the dad who's like, I don't know much about the cat. I traveled a lot. And they promptly go to like fucking with the radio and completely ignoring the entire thing that's happening. Yes. And then because uh, the doorman, Stephen, the African guy shows up, who's the doorman of that building. And wearing the same clothes that we see him in. 100% 100% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> he never wears different clothes. Yeah, even, that's right. Even at the dinner table. And while he's well, playing basketball, he's yeah. in the same suit. <laughs> yes. And and so I love that. Like that, the first time I saw this movie, I was like, this, I, I knew the first time I saw it, I loved a lot of it. This scene was where I was like, I really love this movie. Because they go through the whole cat thing. Katarine is like, this is the point. You're embarrassed. You were a prisoner in your own home. Your mother didn't care for you. And the mother starts getting aggressive about it, and then the doorman shows up, and he's like, you wanted to see me. And Katarine just says, he was orphaned by civil war. You were you orphaned were by orphaned. indifference from your parents. This is why you have so much in common. And I'm like, I fucking love it. Like, I love that. Like, that's a great reason. Because this movie could have just never answered the coincidences, and it could have just been like, it was a coincidence, you know? Right. It could have ended at the dinner scene. But it was like, literally, you two are feeling very similar things for very different reasons, and the universe has kind of brought you together for that in this shared pain, at least from Katarine's perspective. And I'm right. like, oh, I'm like, I love it. <laughs> yeah, so, and like, at this point, the African kid, or Stephen, the Sudanese kid, he like wants nothing to do with Albert. And he's just like, <laughs> why, why am I here? Leave me alone. Yes. And, and, and Katarine's just like, she she gave him a note for him to come to the room so she could say this bit, yeah, and and not interact with him at all. <laughs> I I love I think that's some fantastic writing. Not only in that little bubble of what the coincidences mean, but to push the 
the plot along to get Albert to really be like, okay, I asked you for an answer. You finally gave me a believable answer. Now right. I'm ready to go off with Mark Wahlberg and, and, and learn your school of thought type of thing. Right. Well, and it, the I, I wanted to bring it up when you mentioned it, uh, the bit that like Mark Wahlberg just gets in the car and he's like, this is the place to be. Yes. Um, uh, they definitely imply to some degree that Mark Wahlberg already knows Catherine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he's read her book, we know that, but we we don't really have any reason to believe that he's interacted with her directly. Until that. Yeah, until that yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And um, and so they finally, they all get together, so kind of Mark Wahlberg and Albert switch schools of thought. They say, they're like, they get the great scene outside of the building where he Albert's like, to, to Dustin Hoffman and Lily Tommy, he's like, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you solve this? And they're like, because you lied to us. You didn't tell us it was your parents' building. And I'm like, bullshit, you figured out so much other nonsense. You could have figured that out, you know? Yes, I agree. But he did lie. And I think the the emphasis on him lying there is more about the fact that he was hiding from sure. his, his own shit. Like, they even, I think they even say something to, to the, along those lines where they're like, you, like, this was so, uh, like, uh, substantial to you that you couldn't even directly say it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point for sure. And I think they they go their separate ways. Where Albert and Mark or Mark Wahlberg are basically like, we're going to show you that everything is pain and suffering. And Dustin Hoffman's like, no, we're all interconnected. But between those those tiny dots, there's there's cracks. And he's like, but in those cracks, there's tinier dots. And between those dots, there's tinier cracks. And then they keep going. And Jason Schwartzman is like, what are you talking about? We can't see anything. And even though we've been seeing the special <laughs> effects on the screen. And he's like, do you see anything, Mark Wahlberg? And he's like, no, but I, I want to debate this <laughs> Infinite Cube shit. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, but if you look close enough, you can't tell where my nose ends and space begins because they're unified. See? So what? You can't see any of this anyway. Do you see anything? No, but I want to debate this particle cube thing. And so they say they, they believe now in just nothing is but pain and suffering. And they're going to go with Katarine, and the other two are like, we're going to show you that it's all interconnected. And that's where we get a split in the movie, because I'm pretty sure the next thing that we get is we follow the existential detectives, because now they're investigating Jude Law. Yep. And we get, uh, we get a great scene where Lily Tomlin in her dress is running through sprinklers, and every time a sprinkler hits her, she's like, fuck, shit, damn it. <laughs> well, even better, she's not really trying to not get hit <laughs> like through them yeah <laughs> like she acts like she's trying to not get hit she like runs and stops and runs and stops but like if you really pay attention to what she's doing she runs and stops and then just runs right through the sprinkler yes. yeah, it's, a, it's such good imagery i love it and, and then, then and then Hoffman like he runs to like he actually doesn't get hit by the sprinklers yeah cuz he goes to like the middle and jumps over the the actual part that's spraying the water and yeah, yeah and and they start going through trash. They're like, oh, he's leaving, uh, he's leaving Kafka books to throw us off as, as jokes or whatever. And, and I guess at this point, this is where Naomi Watts actually becomes a character in the movie. So Dawn, uh, the, the voice of Huckabees. Yeah. Um, it is – I don't think you know this, Ben. We love Naomi Watts on this podcast. Okay. I love Naomi Watts. I know Zach does as well, but I really love Naomi Watts. Um, I've said in episodes before, I think it's like our fifth or sixth episode ever. I'm pretty sure I say the line, denim jeans were invented for Naomi Watts to wear. Okay. Because she looks so damn good in them. The only <laughs> thing I have to say is that I'm upset 
that Naomi Watts isn't stealing any children in this movie. Is What's that a reference to? There are two movies that we've discussed on this podcast. Well, one I've referenced, one we've discussed, where the movie ends with Naomi Watts illegally adopting children. Oh. And in the first movie, Shut In, she illegally adopts Jacob Tremblay, the actor. I don't know if you know him. He's a kid actor who's big these days. And then in the second movie, Jacob Tremblay is already one of her children, and that movie also ends with her forging signatures to illegally adopt a child. So there's basically like a Naomi Watts cinematic universe where she is just kidnapping children (laughs) in every movie. And I'm upset that she does not do that. To be fair, this movie is before both of the movies that I'm referencing, uh, Shut In and The Book of Henry. Um, So she's not stealing any children, which I'm kind of upset about because I wanted to add to that canon. But she's still amazing. I love Naomi Watts. Uh, With or without the bonnet. (laughs) (laughs) Do you love me with the bonnet? (laughs) Do you love me? I think so. With the bonnet. (laughs) So Naomi Watts is Jude Law's girlfriend. Also, as we've established earlier, the uh, the model for the commercials and the the advertising for Huckabees. Um, And tops. Yeah, tops and mops and and something and something and... Oh, say, can you see these deals? Or whatever she says in that second (laughs) commercial. (laughs) And so she's getting upset because Jude Law has basically let these people into their lives. And we get that, that... I think it's one of the most awkward scenes I've ever seen in a movie where, you know, they're talking about, like, how's the sex? And And she's like... She's like, what do you mean? It's like that's personal, you know. It's like, and then she said, she's like, it's 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 qu- it's quantity, not quality. And they're like, no, she she meant the other way around. And she's like, it was a joke, ah! And she's like freaking out, like it's so over the top, you know. And then, and then she says the same thing again. It's yes. quantity, not quality. Yeah, and she's like, oh, I'm laughing so hard, I'm crying. It's quantity, not quality. And she's like, I I, I don't want you to know about our seven minutes in heaven, our eight minutes in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> and so how's the sex how is the sex? the sex come on guys come on that's private that's gross. Uh, preliminary surveillance indicates it's been infrequent and short eight to nine minutes typically surveillance you've watched us no just listen so your surveillance is wrong yeah <laughs> it's quantity not quality what she meant quality, not quantity. I know. I was only joking. Were you joking when you said quantity and not quality? In regards to sex? We're not going to discuss We're this We're private right now. about our seven minutes it's of heaven. Than that, don't Eight we? minutes of heaven. It's not quality. It's quantity. <laughs> and so that, that's, I think the, I like the point of that scene being, you know, we're really getting the sense that Jude Law, I think he admits, that's the scene where he finally admits, he's like, I did this just to get at Albert. Like, I wanted to figure out what Albert was doing with you people so I could just, you know, mess with him and get him out of the coalition. But then, like, Naomi Watts actually gets intrigued by it. And, you know, she sits down and has tea with the existential detectives, and they really harp on her about, like, you know, you never thought you were the pretty girl. Then why are you playing the pretty girl? And Mm -hmm. she puts on the bonnet. (laughs) And uh, I think one of the next things we see with her, well... If it's not the thing where he's, like, not letting her go to work, then it's, like, the, the thing where she, like, made these commercials in the bonnet. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That commercial where she's, like, you know, she's so monotone. She has the bonnet with, like, overalls, like, the frumpiest clothing, and she's holding up, like, hangers with shirts on them or blouses, and she's, like, 
Last year's look, no good. These are the looks. Huckabees. And then she's, like, rubbing them on the floor, and then at the end she just lays down. Dude, this this fucking, that commercial, we only get one. That's the one thing I want more of this movie. I want, like, a 20-minute block of Naomi Watts in a bonnet commercials like that. Because that shit plays like a fucking Alan Resnick or Casper Kelly adult swim short. I don't know if you know Alan Resnick, but you know Casper Kelly, the guy who did Too Many Cooks. Okay. Like, it's it's that level of just straight-up weirdness. Where it's <laughs> yeah. just like, if it's like condensed down to 20 seconds. And I'm just like, I love it. Especially the end when she drops the clothes and then just lays face down on the floor. And it goes, Huckabee's, <laughs> the everything store. <laughs> the... Her movements are, like, very robotic in that. Oh, yeah. Like, very stiff. And she's just, like, swinging back and forth, like, rubbing their clothes on the floor. (laughs) That was some crazy shit. She's hunched over, and and it cuts back to her and Jude Law, and she's like... She's like, they're gonna love these commercials, and he's like, <laughs> he's like, no, he's like, you're hurting everything by wearing these clothes. <laughs> <laughs> they, he's gonna hate these these commercials. Yes, yes. So, so I think before that, we do get that scene, but right before that, the cut between those two th- scenes is when we go back to Albert, Mark Wahlberg, and Katarine, and they're doing the pure being, aka the balloon the thing. Ball- yeah, <laughs> and the balloon thing. It's, it's not, once again, not subtle. They are hitting each other in the face with, like, a balloon, like a, like a jumpy ball, like a, like a workout thing. Like, I could only, like, the thing the kids jump on, I guess. And they're hitting them in the face until they just, like, stop thinking. Like, they just turn off their thought for a few seconds. <laughs> now. 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 Did you get it? Yeah, you stop thinking. Yes, it's fantastic. It's like I'm here, but I'm not. So I'm not here. It's just I, I don't. I don't know. Do it one more time. And then they do the whole thing where it's like, can we just do the ball thing forever, every day? And it's like, yeah, no, we, you we will... need to feel like this all the time. Yes, and he's like, no, you will inevitably be dragged into human drama, you know, and and we get. Something we like to talk a lot about on Cinemodities. Unsexy sex scenes. <laughs> we, are, we are very much intrigued by unsexy sex scenes. And when, when Mark Wahlberg and Albert are like, we want to feel like this every day. Like, why do we need to do human drama? We just do the ball thing all the time. And she's like, you're going to get pulled back into human drama. She's like, I'll show it to you. And she starts, you know, getting horny with Albert. And they run right. off into the woods you know, kind of to illustrate to both of them that, well, one, human drama is the existence and non-existence of connection like that. Mm-hmm. And they, Albert and Katarine go off into the woods, and Albert just starts rubbing dirt in his face, rubbing it all up her legs, taking mounds of dirt and grass and, like, shoving it under her dress. And then they start dunking each other face first into muddy water. And then we actually see them having sex, like, covered in dirt. And (laughs) I'm just like, the first time I watched this... Really unflattering sex. Oh, yeah. The first time I watched this, I I was like, I'm into this movie. And then this scene happened, and I'm like, this is fucking ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) It is is unsexy as hell, and I love it. (laughs) Definitely. I mean, 
I, 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 it definitely caught me off guard. Like you just, he starts rubbing mud on her ankle and shit, and I was like, what the fuck is yeah. happening? <laughs> and then when they're dunking the heads into the into the muddy water, and they're just and covered in mud, and they start kissing, and it's just like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not like dirty water. It's like mud. Like they are caked in mud. <laughs> yeah, it's it's something else, man. That is that is a scene and a half right there. But uh, I think that's where it cuts. We go to the Naomi Watts with the commercial. She, uh, Jude Law is like, you can't come to work dressed like that. He goes to work. She comes in anyway. She's like pounding on the glass. She's angry about whatever. Um, she like hits it with her butt before she walks away, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Because <laughs> I think I think she's angry because you know they replaced her. They replaced the model with, with uh, uh, Isla Fisher. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and so and she's and he's like, You're still gonna be the voice of Huckabees, but she's gonna be the look now. And she's like, This is the bonnet, she's like, Don't look at me, don't look at me, you know, all that stuff. And she's Everybody like, no, look so... at me And then she's like, No, I'm so pretty, everybody look at me And it's just like fantastic Naomi Watts acting. Daryl! They want me back in a bikini Dawn, please. Wake up, pretty girl. The joke's on you. The Ow! joke is on you. Hello. Don't Stop. look at me. I just want to be left alone. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of you all looking at me. Look at me. Please, please, please. Everybody, everybody look at me now. I am so pretty. I am so pretty. Look at me. Everybody just wants to be me. I'm pretty. And then she gets mad at Jude Law. Um, she storms off. Marty, the, I guess there's like the head of this section of headquarters, is like, you can't. He's like, you're hurting Huckabees. You're hurting Image. And she's like, Fuckabees. And we get the great, <gasps> she said, fuck a beast. Go after her. Go, go help her. She said, fuck a beast. <laughs> Isn't that when Brad gets like promoted to corporate, whatever yes. that means? Yeah, he gets promoted to corporate and he's like, you're corporate. You're a big man now. Go. She said, fuck a beast. Go, go figure that out. <laughs> hey, you've been given everything by Huckabees. Fuck a beast. Wow. Bradley. Wow. There's board members here. She's something not going to look too good looking... for a new corporate guy. What? I got yeah. corporate. You got corporate. I got corporate. Yeah, you got corporate. Now get corporate and go and contain her. All right? She said fuckabees. Yeah. She said fuckabees. Go get her. And and he goes to her and she's like, you know, we uh, I, I made corporate. Like, what are you doing? Like, why are you losing your mind? All that stuff. And Naomi Watts calms down a little bit. But I think we, we don't get really the, the end of her arc until later on when, when the, the house lit, lights on fire. But we cut into, I'm pretty sure, this is when Mark Wahlberg finds out that Katarine and Albert are having sex. And he's just, he's just like, why is this happening? And he's like, why are you cutting me out like this? I thought I was your student, you know, that type of thing. Like, why does he get special treatment? We get this, like, the montage of sadness where... Mark Wahlberg is just like at a fire as a firefighter, not fighting the fire or something like that. And the other firefighters are like trying to steal the hose from him or something. <laughs> He's just like spraying the lawn with. It looked yes. like a garden hose. Like it didn't even look like a fire hose. Yes. And so he he's all upset. He I think he's trying to do the ball thing on himself or something like that. But I'm pretty sure that montage ends when we go back to uh, the existential detectives talking to Jude Law. And the existential detectives are like, okay, here's what we think about your case. And Jude Law is just mocking them. He's like, here's what you think about my case. And they're yeah, like, what are you yeah. doing? And Jude Law is like, I hired you as a joke. Like, like you're fired. Like, this is done. Like, I got Albert out. I got my benefit. Everything's fine. And they bust out us. the contract. And he's like, you can't fire us. Like, this, this, is, this is only going to end when your case ends. And they explain. They're like, we looked into your life. Who's this person in your family photo? And he's like, oh, that's my fat, sad sack of a brother who can't stop talking about geckos. 
Are you kidding me? He weighs 250. He, t he talks about geckos all the time. What's the point? I thought he was a sweet, sensitive young man. Oh, excuse me, you, you spoke to my fat, sad brother? Yes, Indeed, Brad, I did. At length. Well, if he's so sensitive, why doesn't he lose 70 pounds and stop talking about geckos? Maybe he'll find some friends. And they're like, oh, you're ashamed of him. And he's like, no, I'm a good, I'm a good older brother. Look, I keep all these fucking geckos he sends me. And he pulls out like handfuls of rubber geckos from his desk. I bought him a car. <laughs> Maybe if he stopped talking about geckos, he could have a normal life and a job. <laughs> but I, I really love this scene because it, it, it once again, it, it goes back from like that comedy to that actual introspective like philosophical concept where they're like you think you're like brad you think you're all that you think you're successful but you know you have issues and they're like why do you tell the shania story so much and he's like i don't tell it that much it's just like you know it, it, it's a good thing at meetings or whatever and they have all the recordings of him saying it and it's like this meeting this date so shania doesn't like mayo i get a chicken salad and like this meeting this date this meeting this date and then eventually it's like this date, your car, on your cell phone. This date, your your date with somebody else. And it's like, he's literally saying it all the time. And Jude Law, you can see it in his face. He's just, like, losing his mind. He's finally realizing who he is as a person. And yeah, I'm like, at first he's, he's uh, like, just kind of laughing. He's enjoying the story. He's like, it's a good story. He's just like... And then by, like, the fifth or sixth recording, he just looks so defeated. Oh, yeah. And, and that is... I think this is this is a great performance by Jude Law in that that transition from thinking this is all a joke to being defeated to when he goes into that corporate meeting and the dude's like, come on, tell, tell the, the story. story. Tell, and he's like, tell, I really don't want to tell the story. And he's like, no. He's like, so you and Shania, she's hungry, you get her. And he like pukes in his hand. And oh, oh my God. That is such like, like it's, it's funny because it's like a dark funny. But at the same time, I feel for that character so much in that scene. Give him a salmon stripper, call it the best special. They don't read English anyway. Let's call it Tuna Tornado. There you go. Legal can cover that. Yeah, you know, speaking of Shania and Tuna, Brad has the most incredible story I've heard in three years. Go ahead, Brad. Was the best basher in Japan? What's that about? Well, we've got a trademark issue in the Japan. legal problem? Well, let, let's hear the Shania story. I mean, that, that's what they want to hear. Yeah, come on, tell the Shania, Shania story. story. Right? Come on, Brad. I'm going to hear the story. story. What? I don't want to tell that story, Marty. Come on, you and Shania are downtown in the Loop in Chicago. You're opening up the store. Shania, she all of a sudden, she gets... She gets... Hungry. Really hungry. Right. And so you order... Tuna sandwiches? Tuna fish. You order the tuna fish, okay? But you realize that she's allergic to... Marty, no. She's allergic, yes. Come on, she's allergic to what? Where it's like he's realized that he's just this shell of a human putting on an act, and he doesn't want to do it. He just wants to be himself for once, and no one will let him. And I'm yeah. like, oh my god, like that hits in that moment of the movie. Yeah, that dude eggs him on. Like at first he ignores him, and he's just like he's talking to the person next to him about business stuff. Yep. He just keeps fucking, keeps going, not taking no for a hint. Like that's the moment where you have to look at somebody and be like, stop it. Like leave this alone. <laughs> yes. It's like you have. He has given him at this point no choice but to be aggressive or to ignore him. Exactly. Uh, and 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 Jude Law throws up in his hand instead. Oh <laughs> yeah. And I think he. I think even you know he goes into the um 
Oh, I actually think it's before before the throw-up scene, we get the scene where Jude Law realizes this after the detectives show the video or the audio to him, and he goes to the bathroom, and he's, like, wiping, he's washing his face, and he's freaking out, and then, like, the other dude comes in, he runs into the stall, and the guy's like, you ready for that corporate meeting? And Jude Law's, like, clearly shook, he's shook, he, like, his shirt is yeah. covered in water, and he's freaking out. And he has to still put on the act. Like, he's in the stall, and he's like, you ready for the meeting? He's like, oh, yeah, I'm all set. And he's just, like, clearly broken, you know? Oh, it's, oh, it's so good. Definitely. Definitely well done. Jude Law played it well. Oh, yeah. It was written well. Yeah. And then, so, is that when he finds out about his house? Is that after that meeting? So, I'm, I'm pretty sure, um, yeah, after that meeting, after he gets taken, he throws him in his hand, he gets taken out, and the other guy's like, you need to collect yourself, like, you need to get with it, you know, this is corporate, all that stuff. Um, we get another little montage where Albert and Katarina are together, ah, and it shows yes. it shows Albert like burning the picture of the jet skis. That's right. Which is great, like two minute foreshadowing for the fire, because <laughs> I think it cuts then to Mark Wahlberg is just sh- is just sitting on the couch at the firehouse, and the alarm starts going off, and he just continues to sit there. But then when everybody's getting on the truck, he has his bike, like he's all decked out in his fireman outfit, and he gets on his bike, and he's like, nope, I'm not using petroleum, I'm not killing the planet. And they're like, you're going to get on the truck like everybody fucking else. And he's like, nope. But it turns out, when he takes his bike, he passes the fire truck in traffic, and he gets to the house first, and he has the great line when he, he literally falls off his bike in front of the house, like he, he like, doesn't stop, he just falls, tumbles over. He gets up, he goes on his radio, and he goes, Where are you guys? I'm at the fire, man. (laughs) (laughs) No equipment or anything. Where are you guys? I'm at the fire, man. He just goes into the house. It's filled with smoke. Because as we learn later, the house is on fire. The garage is on fire, and it's slowly spreading. He sees Naomi Watts in her bonnet laid out on the floor. They have a moment where they, like, fall in love. And we get the second attempt at an unsexy sex scene. Because not only in this movie do we get a sex scene with people covered in dirt and mud, we get an almost sex scene in a house filled with smoke. (laughs) And the only reason it's not a sex scene is because they pass out from the smoke. (laughs) So that was something that kind of struck me. He gets there first. He's not able to fight the fire, and he's not even helping somebody out of the house. Yes. He just stops and makes out with her. Yeah, they just start, like, rubbing their mouths on each other. <laughs> oh, that's right. And, and all the kissing in this movie is very weird. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. they're, like, s- sideways, like, edge of mouth to edge of mouth, yes. and you can see the front of their mouth, and they're just like, rom, rom. Yes, it's, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> so, so they both pass out again. Uh, the firefighters actually save them. Um, we see that the, 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 the Dustin Hoffman and Lily Tomlin are there, yeah. Oh, yeah, they get in the ambulance, they hold hands, yeah, that whole thing. We see that Katarine and Albert are in the bushes, because it's revealed that Albert was the one who lit the jet skis on fire, which caused the fire. Jude Law shows up, and he's freaking out, he's like, my house, my everything, like, it's all gone. This is my whole life. And, and he breaks down, Jude Law breaks down and starts crying. Katarine stands up, takes the picture, Jude Law is like, nobody sees that picture! Shows the picture to Albert, and Albert has the realization that, that Jude, Jude Law, Law is him is just as sad as he is, and and right. that's where we get the thing where he's like, no, he's like, everything is sadness and pain, but we are all interconnected because we all feel sadness and pain, right. and and we get that like I mentioned earlier, we get that scene where you know 
Jason Schwartzman, Albert, is like, you guys are working together, right? Like, I start with you, and then she picks up where you left off to come back to you and realize what the thing is, and they're like, nope, we fucking hate each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Well, it, it just occurred to me that in that scene, there's actually an, a third philosophical um, idea present, which is materialism. Like, Ooh. Jude Law is a materialist in sure. the, that scene. He's just like, my that house is my whole life. Um, yes, he feels he feels like a completely devastated. Sure, his devastation is bolstered by the fact that he has you know realized how he's a shell of a human being, but then it's like this is all he has left, and he puts that yeah. much weight on the materialism. Oh, that, that's a good point for sure. But yeah, so so then then we have the whole you're working together bit. On uh, so I did want to I really did want to talk about this because this is something that I think is a testament to why I love this movie so much because I, I do on a, on a writing level on a storytelling level i do find the idea that we have two extreme schools of thought that eventually the character like interconnectedness and no connectedness the character realizing that the correct philosophy is a blend of those two things mm -hmm. i think on a on a just generic storytelling level that is overly cliche and predictable like, you know, sure. like that, like that's even what like fucking, you know, Star Wars did in episode nine. You have the light side and the dark side, but no, you need to balance them. It's like, well, fucking of course. Right. And, and, but this movie, like I said, it's a testament to it. This movie does it well. It is still cliche and sure, in some sense, predictable. Um, I'm sure this being the first time you saw it, you had to know that there was going to be some blend. You know, it's not always the good, the, the one or the zero. It's somewhere in the middle, you know, to maximize sure. things. But yeah. this movie, it, it works in this movie. It makes sense in this movie that they should blend together because the premise of the movie is being torn between these two ideologies. Right. Yeah. It is. It's yeah. It's the whole point. It's not. It's not a weird, extra bit they just throw in for. Yes. And if a movie can, if a movie can do that, if a movie can take something cliche and make it work, that's gold star right there. Sure. Definitely. <laughs> So, so they realize, uh, Jason Schwartzman realizes this, that everything is, you know, he, the, he, he knows now what he needs to do, and we get that last 15 minutes, the last set piece of the movie, where kind of everything comes together, where they go to the benefit with Shania, and, and Jude Law can't get in, everybody's upset, because Jude Law sold out the, the woods to save the marshlands, so he didn't save all the open spaces. Um, Albert gets his, his, um, his conclusion, where... You know, they're fighting in the elevator, and the guy, and everybody in the coalition is like, sorry, Albert, we should have stayed with you. Like, you knew what you were doing, and all right. that stuff. Um, Mark Wahlberg and Naomi Watts get together. We get that great scene where he's like, do you love me? I think so. With the bonnet, and he has no answer. And she's like, he loves me. With the bonnet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, and isn't that like when they get asked to leave? Do you love me? I think so. With the bonnet. Uh, hmm. It's over, Brad. I had a fire and almost died, and he came, and he almost died because he cares about the same things, and that shows there's no nothing, even when you die, and he likes the bonnet. Excuse me? We have a VIP function here. I don't even ask you guys to leave, please. The gentleman behind the bush, you guys should leave, please. Oh, yes, because Jude Law is at trying to get into the benefit, Jason Schwartzman runs up, hides behind the potted plant, and then and then Naomi Watts and Mark Wahlberg show up, and then they're like, the security guard says something like, this is a VIP event, I'm going to ask you all to leave. 
Gentlemen behind the bush, I'm going to have to ask you to leave, please. <laughs> Definitely. And then, like, I, I don't know, is it before their argument or after the argument, Jude Law asks Jason Schwartzman if he could get in the event? And he's like, I didn't even try. Oh, I think, <laughs> I think it's before they fight, but it's when they're on the elevator. Because we get that other weird touch of the movie where they both get on the elevator and they're just like in there, and the 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 guy there's like a couple that is ready to get in the elevator, and they're like, "Are you going down?" And he's like, "No, we're going up." And he's like, "No, you're going down, or whatever order it is." <laughs> I, and, yeah, I think it's the other way, but yeah. And I'm just like, I'm like, okay. And then you know they start fighting, or like the old women get in, and they start like pushing the old women as they're fighting. Yeah, Jindal pushes Schwartzman <laughs> into the old lady. <laughs> yes, and uh, yeah, somewhere in there, I think it's might be after there. No, it might be before because they're both downtrodden and Jude Law is like could you get into the benefit and Jason Schwartz was like I didn't even try and then <laughs> and then when they're confessing things to each other Jason Schwartzman is like I burnt your jet skis and he's like then he freaks out and they start fighting but then Shania shows up and Shania starts fighting with Jude Law and he's like she remembered my name and, and Albert's <laughs> like come on man he's like I was joking <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you know yeah. so they get they they get all their their um their Jude Law gets his comeuppance. Albert gets his resolution. Um, it's it's a nice ending. I love it. You know, kind of the the realization that you know they they are the same. And I think it is capped really well because the last scene in the movie is when Mark Wahlberg goes. Uh, sorry, Jason Schwartzman goes to see Mark Wahlberg on the rock with the caution tape around it. Mm-hmm. And they're like, "You left me out to dry. Like you were my other, and you went and you just fucked Katerine, and and I had nothing. I had nowhere to go." And he's like, "I know. I'm sorry, but you know what I realized." interconnectivity does exist and mark Wahlberg's like i know right but it's not special and i'm like yes i'm like yes i love that i'm like anything in this life is not special just because it exists <laughs> looks like you saw some truth looks like you saw some truth what'd you say well the interconnection thing is definitely for real it is yes. i didn't think it was it <laughs> is. i can't believe it it's so fantastic it's amazing i know but it's also nothing special yeah because it grows from the manure of human trouble you see, the detectives, they just wanted to gloss right over that. But in fact, no manure, no magic. Um, it's kind of interesting that, like, Jude Law, he, it's not exactly a, a reversal of places, but it's, it's pretty close. Like, we start off with Jason, his life's falling apart. It's, like, kind of out of control. Mm-hmm. And at the end, he's, he's kind of gotten his life back on track, and Jude Law's life is falling apart. And yes. like has, has fallen apart, like his relationship has fallen apart, his house is burned down, like like it, it's you <laughs> he know he's, lost he ends his girlfriend, up, yep. <laughs> he ends up way worse off than than Jason at the, or than you know Albert at the beginning. Absolutely, but oh, yeah, they do have like that reversal. It's great, it's great. You know, we get that we get every character. This is something that you know I think we don't get a lot. Is this movie actually is pretty dense with characters? Mm-hmm. I would say like like Albert, Tommy, the two detectives, Katerine. Naomi Watts, like, we have, like, six big characters in this movie, and they all have their own arcs. So, we never, we never touched on the fact that whenever we first find out about Katarin, the through the book, when Tommy is, is in oh, the front yard. Sure. Yeah. Immediately, this, the, this is a picture of the universe. What universe? What, what do you mean, what universe? <laughs> <laughs> well, like, immediately, uh, the male detective is just like, why is she in America? Yes, <laughs> like she never leaves Paris. Yeah, all that stuff. So, like, he he takes the fact that this guy has a book <laughs> as evidence that this lady is in America. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughely. laughs> um, but, yeah, anyway, what you're saying is that like, he's very character dense. Definitely. Oh, yeah. 
Oh yeah, there's so many ideas in this, and and to to kind of combine the 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 dense ideas, the dense characters, with pretty fast paced comedy, like in the mm-hmm. sense that you know we get a lot of comedy in this movie. Right. This is this is I, I I can't say I've ever seen anything really like this. Well, so in in terms of in terms of character stuff, I mean, so like Jude Law's character and Albert's character, they have like their own lives, and I guess Don yes. to some degree too. You know, Naomi Watts is that her name? Don, she, yeah, yeah, Don Campbell. Yeah. Yeah. She she has um, her own life, but like Tommy Corn, his his character almost is completely support. Um, true, true. Like he there has no petroleum resolution. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's no petroleum resolution, but there's like at the beginning, like he's he's gets that divorce, and then you really hear nothing else about his personal life. Yes, that's true. That's true. <clears throat> because kids are going blind in Indonesian factories, yeah, making yes. mommy's shoes. No, that, that's a good point. Yeah, Mark Wahlberg definitely has a, a very large. He has a large role in this movie, but it is supporting for the most right. part to yeah. to get these existential ideas. Um, but I think you know that's a testament to the this script and to Mark Wahlberg's performance is that such a he's a supporting character that can like trick us into thinking he's the main character. Definitely, he's very present. Yes, oh he, yeah. He definitely makes makes himself noticed. I have no idea what any of you people are talking about. <laughs> I thought we were going to talk about patrolling. Oh, <laughs> so I think <clears throat> the last thing I wanted to mention about this movie, and this stood out to me from the first few minutes, the first time I watched it, the score of this movie is fucking amazing. I love the music in this movie. Because it is so... It, you got the sound of Chamberlain's and Wurlitzer organs... And it's it's just so kind of, you know, mellotronic and just it fits perfectly. I could listen to this the soundtrack and the score for this movie like nonstop. I loved it. Did that stand out to you at all? I did not even notice it had music. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good, good, great. <laughs> the two people that have only discussed music on this podcast before, Ben is just like, wait, movies have music in them? <laughs> this is news to me, Rob. Okay, I I, I, want to I actually clip. turn off the music track when I watch movies. <laughs> it's like in a video game when you turn like the music down and you just keep the SFX and the voice all the way up. Yep. Well, the music is great in this movie, man. I want to get a clip in here, and we talk about how when we talk <clears> about <throat> how to end this episode, I want some of that uh, music in reverse as well. Anything else you wanted to say about this movie before we get into our our real questions? I I don't think so. I think we covered pretty much everything. We did like a thorough, almost shot for shot. We did, I, which I, I think is appropriate. You know, there's some movies we talk about on here where they're like everybody's familiar with it, so we can just talk about like the the idea. Like I know we did that earlier this month for Uncut Gems. Like Uncut Gems was so popular that we were like fuck a plot breakdown like let's just talk about the the meaning behind it and stuff like that sure nobody knows what the hell this movie is and if we just talked philosophy for two hours it'd be like did they even watch a movie (laughs) (laughs) sure sure i mean so i I think but i think we've really touched on everything that i cared to mention about this movie um 
Oh, I actually, I one one last callback. I do think Stephen is seen getting an autograph at the event at the oh, end. Yes, yes, him and Jonah Hill. I think. Uh, yeah, for, yeah. For Shania Twain, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, yep. so that's and, and one that's last little tie together. Time. Yep. Because <laughs> he asked him at the dinner scene, he's like, why are autographs so important? He's like, it's a pastime for the family. We enjoy it. And it's just like... Yeah. They pass like, it down to me. Yeah, and that adds to the scene where, you know, the, the point of the coincidences is the orphaned idea. It's not the the autograph idea, you know? And it's, right. it just shows that at that dinner scene, Albert is so confused about his own case that sure. he yeah. needs he needs that push from those existentialists to to actually get there mm-hmm. because because like you said he's been taught to betray himself to betray his feelings for his cat to betray himself by going to brad and all that right. stuff yeah yeah so i think that's everything that's a good wrap up there all right so now we have reached the point where we have to talk about our real questions we always start with cinemodities and late night and ben i want to ask you since this is your first time doing such a thing do you feel bold enough to go first, or would you like me to start? Uh, I'll go first. Okay, I'm so you can you goer. can do uh, you can do just cinemodities, you can do just late night, you can lump them together if you want, um, but go for it. Is this a cinemodity? Absolutely. <laughs> this is a this is a weird movie where at points Hoffman and Jason Schwartzman's eyes switch. Yes, visibly on true. the screen. Yes. <laughs> Um, not not their eyeballs, but like the two, square of yeah, picture that represents. The, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so absolutely, definitely, cinemodity. Um, would I recommend this movie to somebody? It depends on the person. Mm. But but yes, uh, I would certainly recommend. There are some people I would recommend this movie to. Um, it's, in my opinion, very good, very enjoyable movie. So yes, definitely. right on. Well, I think uh, in terms of a, uh, a first time doing this, uh, Ben has done a uh, – maybe not Ben, but uh, this is probably a testament to how Ben and I think very similarly because for Cinemodities, my answer is, of course, definitely. This is a strange movie in all the ways that we've talked about. Um, I think on a, like a, uh, the big picture is that you know this movie stands out as something – a story about existential crisis – combined with my type of humor. Like, this is a Rob movie with a capital R. And I think to put it in perspective, um, last year, Zach and I did a series which was called the Unexpected Love series, where we both picked movies, well, we did two each for uh, four episodes, where the movies that we picked were movies that we really loved, but people would not think we loved them, or in the past when we've talked about it, people have been like, really, why do you love this movie? Like, they didn't think we would love it. I guess for Ben's knowledge, and if our audience doesn't remember, one of the movies I picked was the 1987 teen drama comedy Adventures in Babysitting. I love that movie. And whenever I show that to people, they're like, why the fuck do you love this movie? And we did a whole episode about it. This movie, I think if you if I say Rob loves this movie, everybody who knows me goes, yeah, I, I get that. <laughs> Like, there's no question why Rob would love this existential comedy film. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I was not at all surprised when I was watching it. Like, this... Absolutely. Ro- Rob recommended this. This makes sense. So, Cinemodities, I gotta go definitely. And for Late Night, uh, I think Ben, uh, being unfamiliar with some of the vernacular that we have on this podcast, he said it and defined it perfectly. 
there's many times when we talk about late night movies, the recommendation we consider some things as a know your audience movie. And that's exactly what you said. Because I think that this is not something you could show everybody. You need to know who you're showing it to so you can get the right reaction and the right discussion about these existential ideas. And that's exactly why I knew Ben. I, I didn't expect Ben to like it as much as he did, but I expected Ben to be able to be like, okay, I can talk about this because this is in my, my wheelhouse of thought. And you got to know your audience. You know, if, um, if you're showing, like, I don't know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, which is another movie we did, which ends in, like, a chainsaw fight, and it's not very intelligent at all, if somebody loves that movie and they're, like, really into it, they probably wouldn't be able to give you the great conversation about existentialism that you should get from this film. <laughs> probably not. I would have to agree with that. All right. So, for the first time, Ben... Uh, since this is your first time, you know, by default, we are in agreeance. Look, we are not split. That's always a that's always a thing. Not a good thing or a bad thing, but it's a thing. <laughs> okay. Right on. So now we get to the restaurant, the snacks. How does this movie influence the Cinemodities restaurant? And before we can get to that, we have an update from a business proposition that was posed to us none other by none other than Maximo. And it started actually last week. So to put this in perspective for anybody who does not remember, and Ben, who I don't think uh, has uh, checked out uh, last week's episode, we received an email from a superfan, Maximo, and he pitched to us the idea that he was able to sell Time Vortex Restaurant Insurance. Because Ben is familiar with the restaurant. He knows it's an infinite void. It's in a time vortex. People are stuck there. All that stuff. It's totally real. Um... Maximo basically said to us, I am here to offer you insurance for your restaurant. And his big pitch was, I'm not sure if you know this, Ben. Um, you, know, you know the movie Alien, where, like, the, the face hugger goes on the dude's face and, like, a, another alien, like, bursts out of its chest and, like, creates it? Yeah. So, yeah. so we have a thing in the restaurant. If any of our employees are not good employees, we use a face hugger to impregnate them, <laughs> and out of their chest, a better employee is birthed. <laughs> okay. And Maximo pitches the idea of, well, how do, you, how do you protect yourself against creating new life? Because how do you get a birth certificate for a better employee that was born out of a worse employee? He also said, you know, how do you hide the fact that you killed a worse employee for a better employee? And he basically said to us, he can, not in his words, but from what Justin and I gathered last week, he can commit fraud to make sure that we have no issue with this. That the people were going to die for legitimate reasons and new employees would be gained for legitimate reasons, at least as far as the government is concerned. Justin and I, um, and, and this is something else that's just good to have you on, uh, the audience knows from last week, Justin and I are statistics people. Uh, we basically said, what's your book of business? How could you do insurance for Time Vortex restaurants? We think we're the only one. How do you gain data on these things? How do you know what premiums to charge? All that stuff. And that's where we left it. We basically said, we're not ready to commit to anything because we don't have enough information. And Maximo, the great salesman that he is, came back to us with possibly the response to end all responses. And I have shared this with Ben so he can comment on it fully. Um, but just to put in perspective, uh, Ben and I are also math people. So Ben understands the pie chart that Maximo sent to us. He knows how to read a pie chart. So 
I'm going to start. I'm going to I want to read this email as we usually do. I'm going to break it down so we talk about the things that we get to them. But this is how Maximo starts. About last episode. Yes, there is other Time Vortex restaurants like the Heart Attack Grill where it's a Russian roulette. One out of 10 meals will kill you. And as you see in the pie chart, and then he gives us a pie chart. You can corroborate this. Are you seeing the pie chart, Ben? This is definitely a pie chart. Then what is the, if you could fill our audience in, what is the name of the pie chart? The, the pie chart is, is named Horrible Pie Chart. <laughs> <laughs> and the date is today. Uh, to, today. Yeah, the word today. So the title of the pie chart is People's Favorite Time Vortex Restaurant. And there are four of them, which was I was not aware of. I thought we were the only one. Um, in red, we have our restaurant, Cinemodities, with a C. In blue, we have the Heart Attack Grill, which you already mentioned. In yellow, we have Cinemodities, with an S. More on that in a little bit as I read the rest of his email. But then in purple, we have Modern Toilets. And that chunk is is colored the worst. <laughs> yes, yes. Like, I, we have to thoroughly. say that this is this is MS Paint pie chart. This is not like a, an an actual generated pie chart. This looks like an MS Paint pie chart. Yeah, and he it, definitely drew this with the mouse. Yes. So my question for Maximo, which he'll get back to us, of course, but for you, Ben, do you think Modern Toilets is the name of a restaurant? Or is he saying that modern toilets are time vortex restaurants? Um, I, I don't know. I'm confused. Why does it have so much of a market share? So <laughs> that this makes me believe also, that it's to Maximo's credit. This is very difficult for me to discuss in the goofy way we discuss the restaurant with a straight face. This is so goddamn funny. <laughs> uh, I, I would have to say that. Definitely, this is regular toilets. Okay, so uh, that's like... that's the only way it could have that much market share. <laughs> I don't know why he thinks it's a restaurant, though, <laughs> which, which which raises some questions about Maximo. Is that what you said? Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, so that raises oh, some questions God. about Maximo. Um, Maximo, <laughs> do you eat shit? <laughs> is that and does it put you in a time vortex? That's see, that's my issue. Is he says these are people's favorite time vortex restaurants. How is a toilet a restaurant? One, two. How is a toilet a time vortex? Uh, I mean, sitting on the toilet reading your phone, disappearing for hours. <laughs> like if you've if you've ever worked an hourly job, you know a toilet's a time oh, vortex. Now, now that that's a good point, but that also brings me to a great moment in the history of Ben and Rob, when Ben slept next to a toilet. <laughs> 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 can I, I tell the, Can I tell this story? Yeah, yeah okay. tell the story. Tell the whole story. I, I picked up Ben from a party. Ben was intoxicated. I will never forget uh, when I when I showed up. I was not at the party for whatever reason. That that's not the issue. I don't think I wanted to be at that party. Um, but I showed up to pick Ben up because he was intoxicated. Uh, the host of the party, Mister Richard himself, comes out, and the first thing he says to me. It's the bottom of the eighth, and the Orioles are losing one to sixteen. But that doesn't mean we can't have a good time. <laughs> I was, some, something along those lines, and I was just like, "Oh, okay." Ben gets in my car. Ben's intoxicated. We go back to his place. I drive him back. We're, we're hanging out. Uh, I think you know maybe we throw something on, whatever. Ben starts to get sick because he's intoxicated. He goes to the bathroom, and I'm like, "Okay, I got to take care of Ben," and I'm gonna leave. 
uh, Ben is, you know, in the bathroom. He's like, I'm gotta, you know, I gotta stay in the bathroom. I'm like, that's fine. I'm gonna bring you a pillow. I think it was the pillow. And I'm like, I'm like, that's the best I can do is, you know, if Ben wants to stay here, I'll give him a pillow. Fine. A few days go by. Ben and I hang out regularly back in the day. Um, he says something like, man, you know, like what happened? And I was like, oh, you were drunk. It was fine. You know, I've been there before. We've both been there before for other people, for each other, all that stuff. And I was like, and I was like, yeah, I was like, I brought you a pillow in the bathroom. And you were like, I woke up with a pillow and a blanket. (laughs) And I was like, I only gave you a pillow. And so the look on your face was just a realization where you were like, that means at one point I got up from the bathroom floor, took the blanket off of my bed and went back to the bathroom to fall asleep, <laughs> which is probably a good decision if you were sick. But I remember you realizing that and us just dying laughing about that. <laughs> so that there you go. Modern toilet is a time vortex. <laughs> that party is actually pretty relevant to this episode, though. Because that was the time I got in an argument oh. with that lady about moral relativism. Was that the, the animal dude? He's like, I'd rather let ten people die and let one animal live. Was that that same party? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. moral moral relativism, moral licensing, absolutely. <laughs> that was some crazy shit. Oh, yeah. So, so, Maximo, now that we've discussed it, hit us up. Is Modern Toilets a restaurant that we can go to, or is this just Modern Toilets? Um, and it, did you have anything else to point out about this pie chart as the, uh, um, as the, as the, tr- the, the more true mathematician of the two of us? The red section is colored very well. Well, as it should be, because that's for our restaurant. <laughs> but it is also the smallest. Yes. And as he goes on to say, after we see this pie chart, his email continues, you are the smallest time vortex restaurant, even though you were the first, there is even a bootleg version of you that is doing better. You would be able to sue them if you had my help. Trust me, I am 100% qualified in Time Vortex restaurants. I studied in the Time Vortex Institute of Knowledge and Shit, which is a totally real school. And then he provides the coat of arms for the Time Vortex Institute of Knowledge and Shit. Now, here's my question, Ben. Whenever I, whenever we say, I think everybody, all my friends, you know, when we say something and shit, we mean it as like an et cetera. Like, you know, yeah, yeah we got time, vort- we got time vortex, we got, uh, we got, you know, uh, we got video games and shit. And it just means like, and other stuff. Mm-hmm. Is there a connection that where he studied the time vortex Institute of knowledge and shit has something to do with modern toilets? That's exactly what I was about to bring up. I think that this school started the Modern Toilets restaurant. I am trend. blown away because Maximo, when he sent this email, he had no idea that we were doing I Heart Huckabees this week. He had no idea that this is where this was getting getting discussed. How did he fit such a dense email into a discussion about such a dense movie? That might be foresight. Impeccable foresight on his part. Because this this email, the more I read it, the more questions I have, and the more clever it seems for how <laughs> nonsensical it is. <laughs> Aptly uh, fits the, the movie. Oh, so he ends with saying, So you don't need to worry about qualifications. I will handle your restaurant and not disappoint you. Like I said with Justin last week, that was uh, one of our big things, is, you know, what's the what are your qualifications? And then he says... 
because we brought up premiums last week, something very important for the restaurant. My pay is an episode every Monday, which I don't think is a problem. I will wait for your answer in the episode that fits your recording schedule, which thankfully is the next week. So I, there is a PS. I don't know if, if, if uh, Ben noticed. It's a little down, but we'll talk about that in a bit. It's not related to this. Um, even though, so first and foremost, Zach is not here. As much as we love Justin, as much as we love Ben, they do not have any stake in the actual restaurant. Maybe one day, maybe one day, but right now, Zach and I are 50-50. Uh, and I thought Zach, I was getting paid in equity. And <laughs> you're getting paid in not dying when you go to the restaurant. I think that's uh, where we left it in the in the rap episode. <laughs> that's that's right. So, but maybe one day we'll see how it goes. Um, maybe after today, when you add some snacks, we'll see how that that ends up. But I I am going to say uh, right off the bat on my fifty percent, or as Zach likes to say, when the government comes down on us, I own fifty one percent and he owns forty nine. Uh, no liability. That's one of the, the mottos of the restaurant. I'm, I'm tempted to say I will pass it by Zach, and I think the next time Zach is on here, when he's done with the restaurant, we'll have to talk about it a little bit more. I think, Maximo, you got yourselves a deal. Let's do some forging of car accident death certificates and, and chest burster birth certificates, and, and let's, let's get some suing these other... I want to sue these modern toilets... I want to sue the shit out of these modern toilets. Pun intended. <laughs> what do you think, Ben? Just from what you've heard, now that you've kind of got the whole, you know, Justin and I didn't have all the information. We have a more complete picture. Just in, in your kind of business acumen, would you, would you be behind this? Would you, would you uh, if you were, had a say in this restaurant, what would you think about um, hiring Maximo from the Time Vortex Knowledge Institute of Knowledge and shit? Uh, what what I consider hiring somebody to do a job that I didn't realize needed to be done for no pay? Is that what you're asking me? The pay is that we have to keep doing podcast episodes, which which that... we are entirely planning on doing. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 yes. <laughs> so, no pay. If you're asking would I accept free labor, um, the answer is always yes. Okay. Right on. Look at even that. If I have to, even if I have to steal it. You got Do you know me. what stolen free labor is called? Um, the best? Accidental slavery. <laughs> Accidental slavery. <laughs> Accidental slavery. <laughs> 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 that just makes me think, like, remember at the beginning of this discussion, I asked you who, who is the rapper in this movie? If you, yes. had, if you had said the African guy... I would have gotten to say that's accidentally racist. <laughs> Definitely, I think you said accidentally racist anyway, but not I about did. that. I did about something else. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. And so, Maximo, great stuff. Um, this is the goofiness that Rob absolutely loves uh, for from fans of our podcast. I do have to mention his PS. We don't talk about it a lot because I don't think there's much to say, um, but I do want to mention it because Ben is here and Ben has seen this movie. Maximo says PS. I jumped into the deep end and watched Eraserhead as my first David Lynch movie, and I loved it. My 13-year-old brother loved it too, but I think he had seen Twin Peaks, so it wasn't his first Lynch production. If everybody remembers from our rap episode, where the first hour and a half Ben and I talk about our history, Ben has also seen Eraserhead, and I'm pretty sure in that episode I say I've never seen Ben more horrified in my life. I'm pretty sure yeah. there's that scene where the baby laughs at him, and Ben audibly in the theater went, "Oh God!" 
so I'm yeah, uh, Eraserhead's awful. I mean, it's a movie. Uh, I I have to say I I don't want to meet a 13 year old that likes it. So I'm fair. glad that I don't know you, Maximo, and your brother. Fair, fair. All right. Well, okay. We had to get that out of the way, and that leads us to now another first for Ben. Ben and I are going to talk about, well, what are our introductions to the Cinemodities restaurant? And I have a good bit of snacks and things. I don't know how many you have, but how about I'll throw one out and we can try to trade off. All right. So uh, I have some easy ones. I have some low-hanging fruit, I should say. Somewhere in the restaurant, maybe, so we have Main Street. You know how, like, Disneyland has, like, Main Street? With all the like, shops on the side and stuff like that, okay. like I where they film a lot that. of film a lot of movies. But so we have a main street in our restaurant, and there's things like there's a barber shop, um, there's a there's like a there's like a, a place where we have busts of directors that we love. Um, there's kiosks where you can get medical work done on Main Street. But I think somewhere on Main Street, we should have a big rock inside a caution tape. I want that rock from the beginning. With the caution tape around it. I want that in the restaurant. <laughs> Definitely. Um, you, you need a place to check in your bikes when you get there. <laughs> oh, I like that. So if you remember... Treat it like it's a car. It, it, it does. You do... <laughs> it's not a car. It's my job. Customers have to get in line and then take a ferry to get to the restaurant. So would their bikes go get checked before or after the ferry ride? Is there any reason for them to have a bike? In the restaurant? If they, if, I mean, so uh, the restaurant is located in Times Square in Manhattan. Maybe if they don't want to drive there, they want to take their bike. Well, I just mean like after they get off the ferry, is there any... Oh, well, the restaurant is an infinite void, but it's probably too cluttered to ride a bike effectively. <laughs> so we should probably check the bikes before they get on the ferry. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, and yeah, I like what you said, you know, we'll have, we'll have a valet... And every time someone brings up a bike, they'll be like, we only check cars. We'll just treat it like it's a, it's a car. <laughs> it's not a car. It's my job. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we, don't, we don't check bikes, sir. Yeah, treat it like it's a car. It's, it's not a car. It's my job. Okay. I, liked, I, liked, I didn't have that one. I didn't have the bike one. Uh, what I, the next one I had was, um, just like in the beginning of the movie, do we require or give out jackets in certain parts of the restaurant. You know how, like, the fancy restaurant, he needs that jacket? Should we have something like that? And if we do, if we have to give out jackets, what do we put in the pockets for them to find? So I was just wondering uh, if we're going to intentionally be be planting things in the pockets. Um, If you can get information about their personal lives beforehand, Mm. like, you could have something specific to the customer. Like, your wife's cheating on you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or that's not actually your daughter. Things that, like that. Oh, I like really start to mess with them, you know? Definitely. Ah, okay. I was going to – my first thought was every time we have to give out or rent a jacket out to somebody, there would be another bad poem from Albert in the pocket. <laughs> this rock rocks. <laughs> no, no one, no one ro- sits like this rock. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I like so, – so I don't think I'd want a, a – um, uh, like an attire requirement in all of the restaurant. Like I wouldn't want a formal wear for all of it, but certain parts maybe. When you go into a certain section of the restaurant, that's where you need a jacket or something can, like that. Can we require that it be like a mountain climbing jacket instead of like a suit jacket? Oh, what? Because something we didn't talk about is that like every scene in this movie, Mark Wahlberg has his fireman boots on. 
like, yeah. like even in, even random scenes when he's not firefighting, he has his firefighter boots on. What Definitely. if we don't require a jacket? We require everybody to have firefighter boots. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that could be pretty good. I think I, I, there's something I like about just, like, requiring, like, an outdoor jacket. Like, this is... Mm. Like, no suit jacket necessarily. Like, you can have a suit jacket, but yeah, you better have an outdoor jacket. Like, over. I gotta throw a Carhartt on over whatever they're wearing or something like Definitely. that? <laughs> okay, Definitely. Okay, I, I can get behind that for sure. And they're just sweating their asses off. <laughs> yeah, and it, there needs to be a heater on in the room. Like, oh, this oh, is... <laughs> this is not for comfort. I like that. I like that. It's for I've, style. I have another quick one, um, because it's right from the movie. Um, we should have a uh, Mancala hour. Do you know um, how to play Mancala? Have you ever played I, Mancala? No. I'm no, pretty I sure don't. I have a Mancala set because somebody like sent it to me or, or like gifted it to me because they found a yard sale and I've never played it. I feel like Mancala is one of those like I feel like I've seen like generic collections of board games and Mancala is like always amongst oh, okay. the like a you know multi board games in one box type of thing like there's always Mancala. It's, it's like pretty, never... it's pretty simple. The board is just like. You have just random white rocks, random black rocks, and then just holes, like divots in a piece of wood. Yeah. Like, it's, it's very simple. I don't know how to play it, but from what I've seen, it's very simple. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Moncala Hour? I don't know. It, I'm down with Moncala Hour, but there needs to be, like, a like a lightning round of Moncala where they're playing the board. Like, the board's on a watermelon, and part of the game is not knocking the board over. Okay, okay. So it's kind of like there's a balance element involved. Yes. And maybe there's some dirt around in a folder, too, something like that, you know? Yeah, de- <laughs> definitely file cabinets full of manila folders, some of which have dirt in them. <laughs> not all of them. That would be silly. That's our, that's our in our record-keeping department. We have all of our fraudulent documents from Maximo now mixed in with just piles of dirt in the folders, too. <laughs> definitely. That'll, that'll throw off any investigators. <laughs> like, okay, shit, these guys okay. What, what else did you have? I got a few more. Do you have any others? Uh, I mean, as far as actual snacks go... Sure. I, I definitely like crackers with cheese on them. So, Just in general? Have, yeah, oh yeah, we okay. have that. <laughs> I mean, I don't think we have that already, so anything special about the crackers or the cheese? Um... Or? Maybe maybe I can combine that snack with one of mine. What if the cheese is made out of Jude Law's breast milk? Because we do have that scene where they're like, Jude, like you've been predatory and prey with Jude Law your whole life, and it shows like Jason Schwartzman like suckling on the fake breasts of Jude Law, and he's like, I give and I give, and he takes and takes. So what if it's that crackers was disturbing. with? Oh yeah, what if it's crackers with cheese made out of Jude Law's breast milk? That perfect. Let's do it. Okay, okay. You think breast milk will make good cheese? Um, I know it's been done before. I've never had it, but I know it exists. So if it exists, well, I was about to say if it exists, we can do it in the restaurant. And then 50 things came into my mind that don't exist that we also do in the restaurant. (laughs) Like the goddamn word processor of the gods. (laughs) Of course. So uh, that was one of mine, the Jude Law's breast milk. I like putting it with the cheese, making a little uh, appetizer, an hors d'oeuvre type of thing. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and the other thing in terms of real food that I had, chicken salad, but we tell the customers that it's tuna salad. With no mayo. Exactly. When they order the tuna salad with no mayo, they get chicken salad with mayo. <laughs> <laughs> 
So are we going to also have regular tuna salad so that if we just run into a customer that doesn't want mayo, that's who finds out about this? Oh, no, 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 no. As of now, no <laughs> tuna salad, unless I'm forgetting when we had it earlier. Anytime you order tuna salad with no mayo, you're going to get chicken salad <laughs> with mayo. What if you just order regular tuna salad? You get the chicken salad with mayo. <laughs> okay, right on. All tuna salad becomes... It's a function, Ben, you know? All tuna, you input tuna salad, you output chicken salad. <laughs> Got it. Um, what kind of bread are these sandwiches going to be on? Ooh. Ooh. That, I didn't think of that. That's a good question. I don't think they say in his Shania story, I don't think he says what type of bread. Um, no. Like the one piece of useful information we could have got from that story. What's the, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe that's what we give the illusion of choice on, is the bread. Like, maybe somebody's like, I want, I want the tuna salad on, you know, wheat bread. Or what I if, want on ciabatta, and it's always just white Wonder Bread. <laughs> what, <laughs> what if the bread is a bread that we make, and it's called without mayo? Oh! Now that, now that I like, Ben. Not only because you said it's homemade bread, but because we have made homemade bread. We, we know how to make bread. We wouldn't even have to pay somebody to make bread. We could True. just Ben could just pop into the restaurant and be like, Ben, we need you to punch yeast and water for six hours to make some <laughs> bread, and we're going to call it without mayo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's the twist, though. There's mayo in the bread. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. You got it. You got it. That is that is literally the the motif of the Cinemodities restaurant. You got it. <laughs> right on. I like that. The bread we make our own bread with mayo called with mayo. Or without, without mayo. mayo. Without yeah, mayo. Definitely. Yes. Perfect. Definitely. Yes. Oh god, Ben, you got it. You nailed it. You understand what we're doing at this restaurant. Absolutely. <laughs> and the other twist is it's actually just mayo. <laughs> layer of mayo on the top and the bottom and there's tuna salad or chicken salad with more mayo in it in between oh oh my god that's amazing it's uh it has to be frozen to maintain that shape but as you eat it it unfreezes that sounds so disgusting it might work (laughs) ben is coughing and gagging at that idea So the I love that. I love all that. The last thing that I had was um, we should have an event. We have a few events in the Cinemonies restaurant um, where, you know, people can come in at certain times and see certain things. Um, like we have some animatronics that do songs and dance. Um, every Sunday we do something called Seance Modities where we have a seance and, like, try and channel dead people. Um, and, yes, this did come out of quarantine because, if you know, in a seance you have to hold hands. So everybody has to hold hands without gloves during seance modities. Um, Another event I really like is let's do the pure being balloon thing events in the restaurant where people pair up and they whack each other in the face with the balloon until they stop thinking. Because not only is that a good event for our customers to go through, it's also going to make them stop thinking so they order more food. Do you think that that it would be enjoyable for them to like take – polaroid pictures of each other and then like cut out pieces and like swap them around like an arts and crafts event yeah <laughs> i i could get behind that I, I didn't think of that one but yeah it's like we we have like cameras set up and and 
and maybe by accident, I'm doing air quotes if the audience couldn't tell, the evil camera gets mixed up in there, because that takes Polaroids as well. And then the people who don't get killed from the evil camera turn into food. They can be like, oh, I, I got an eyeball. I'll trade that for a nose. And like, <laughs> and maybe put shredders in the event so it would be like they can cut it up really small and be like, I'll give you these tiny particles for your <laughs> tiny particles. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I we love are, that. Yeah, that's great. connected. An arts and crafts event. Absolutely. That would at least, I hope, appease the people who are stuck in the restaurant because they can't find the way out. That would at least give them something to do. And even if they see the like the cutters, like the thing to shred and cut the pictures up, even if they see those and just go for like suicide packs, that works too. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's actually just pieces of people they're passing around. That that seems like the natural progression is like I'm gonna cut off my nose if you cut off your pinky toe. <laughs> I'll well, trade Maybe we remove the cameras altogether, and that's actually what this room is. We just give you a knife. <laughs> <laughs> a dull knife. Yes, yes. <laughs> and we like, encourage... It's like, it's like Mr. Potato Head, but with actual human body parts. <laughs> and uh, you, get like a, you get like a needle and thread. Not like hospital grade. Not stitching with your... Like, this is oh, to make... Unsanitized. So yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> Probably covered in dirt from the yes, unsexy sex scene. Yes. Dipped in mud, absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, and then and then you just go to town. I love it, Ben. Ben Ben, you're fitting in perfectly here with what we do at the restaurant. We don't want people to live well, through this experience. <laughs> if I if, if I'm gonna be an owner someday, I gotta know. You're making you're making good progress. Alright, did you have any other snacks for the restaurant? No, I don't think so. I think okay. I'm all snacked out. I think that was all I had as well. So that brings us to the conclusion of this month's series, the Rappers as Actors series. And usually when this ends, I like to give a little heads up of where we are going next. And I'm pretty sure this has been set. Uh, it's been it's been kind of up in the air because Zach has been so busy with the restaurant. Uh, we had something planned originally, but I think it's getting pushed back a little bit. Um, the thing to first mention is that in this upcoming month of June... We have five Mondays. We have five episodes. Woo-woo! Or, sorry, I don't do woo-woo anymore. I do the rap horn. That's, that's, my, that's my new thing. Um, so uh, I want our audience to know, and I want Ben to know as well, because he might be back for an episode. I'm pretty sure that this upcoming month, we are going to be doing a series that I have titled Chewed Up and Spit Out. And this is going to be movies that involve the, the most way the, the most efficient way to distill this is that this is going to be movie series of movies where each one focuses on the plight of women in the industry, how they are chewed up and spit out by the industry. Now, don't get me wrong, not by men. We're not doing like any stupid R. Kelly or Weinstein documentary. We're doing movies about women trying to make it and having troubles, trials, and tribulations in doing so. So, if that interests you, Ben, I will let you know uh, off mic if you if some movies we're thinking of, and maybe you might want to watch some of them. I don't know if you've seen any of them. If it's a, that's a, a motif you really really enjoy, but um, you know, there's going to be some uh, there's going to be some Paul Verhoeven movies next month. Uh, there's going to be some. Ben Ben does not know what that is. Uh, <laughs> there's there's going to be uh, there's going to be some Nicholas Winding Refn next month. 
I think they're Ben. Ben is looking more excited, but I know he does not know what that is either. <laughs> maybe a little, maybe maybe a little black swan. Ben is just like I don't know. It's like isn't is this episode over yet? But yes. So <laughs> next month we are planning on another Rob chosen series in which we are going to be talking about women getting chewed up and spit out. So with that being said. Is there anything, Ben, at the end of this episode that you would like to pitch to our audience? Any, uh, any place they can find you? Can they follow you on Twitter? Uh, Justin last week, actually, ah. the only thing he pitched, Justin pitched last week he, was his username because he wanted people to find him and play him on chess.com. <laughs> <laughs> so if you have uh, anything like that, you can let our audience know, and I will put it in the show notes for sure. I may have mentioned that I've started drawing, and I've started posting some of those drawings on Instagram. Ooh. So I'm going to give you an Instagram handle. I think it's at Ben Q. Stanley. Do you do Pretty sure. porn? Uh, not yet. Okay, but ben, I can. So, so I'm going to blow. I'm not, not to blow up your spot, but to absolutely blow up your spot. Ben will do porn for you for free, no commission. <laughs> the dirtiest thing you want, just let him know. And the only free thing is, and everything. it's going to look like the same drawings I've seen from him. <laughs> like it's not going to look like what you want. It's going to look like the what dude with an axe. I think I've seen. <laughs> uh yeah yeah you've definitely seen that so yeah yeah so, feel free to give us that uh, instagram or any any other place we can find you and um hopefully our audience reaches out maybe you'll get some uh some some fandom i don't know if you want commissions but you know that's uh that's between uh our audience and ben and uh, uh you know maximo don't go don't go crazy like don't start telling ben he needs time vortex drawing insurance okay <laughs> let's take it one step at a time <laughs> if uh if people want if people see my artwork and think they want to pay me to do something for them, I might be interested in doing that. But uh, I, I'm not there yet. Like I'm not. I'm not at the point where I'm going to start advertising that for myself yet. Sure, so. sure, absolutely. I had to make fun of you for it, though. <laughs> I will draw porn for you if you want. That is actually just a drawing that I've already done. Just the dirtiest, mud-covered, dirt-rubbed <laughs> porn you can imagine. <laughs> I'm, actually, I'm actually just going to take a, a piece of paper and rub it in some dirt. <laughs> Email that to you. <laughs> now, now that's real art. I'll <clears throat> sign it if you got a pen. <laughs> you got a pen that can write in mud. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes, but if you want to say it as well. Yep. It's, it's just Ben Q. Stanley. It's, oh, okay. Uh, Perfect. B e n q s t a n l e y. That's most of my name and how I'm known. That's his Insta. It's for his Insta. <laughs> I, I'm pretty. Yeah, it's definitely my Insta. Is it? Is it an app? I just started using Instagram. I don't understand the service. I, I don't know. use it either. So. Okay, so you don't know if it's an app. Maybe Isn't it's an app. Everything an app. Isn't fucking I, everything in our lives an app? Probably at this point. Yeah, that's what it seems like. I think so, the Twitter yeah. is at Cinemodities, so... <laughs> no, right, dude. So, so, yeah. in conclusion, Ben, thank you so much for being here. It is always great to have you on, especially now that I think uh, it's safe to say you've earned your chops as being able to talk about things other than music. <laughs> wow. I did it. Ben will be back, uh, definitely for music. I know we have an episode ready to go, or pretty close to ready to go, for Song Screed Immodities, which I hope you all enjoy. But I think Ben will be back in the future, hopefully next series, because what's better than two adult men talking about women getting chewed up and spit out in the industry? <laughs> that irony is not lost on me, folks. I'm hoping that one out of the five episodes we will actually have a female on. 
I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's up to, to talk to him. Yeah, it's uh, up to her if she wants to discuss something that is not beneficial to her gender, I would say. So, um, with that being said, if you hate Ben, if you love Ben, if you've heard him before or this is the first time on Cinemodities slash Song Screedomodities, please hit us up at Cinemodities on Twitter. You can also throw us an email at Cinemodities at gmail.com to complain how much you want Zach back or anything of the like. Other than that, uh, maybe throw us, just because I'm in that mindset, throw us a rate, review, and subscribe. We don't usually say that. The way we say it, Ben, is take that like button to pound town. <laughs> <laughs> an even number, no, an odd number of times. Because, you know, if you, if you hit it once, it likes it. You hit it again, it unlikes it. You hit it once more. So it's got to be an odd. Take that like button to pound town an odd number of times. Right on. With that being said, we have to know how are we going to end this episode. I gave it away early. I was really tempted to do some Marky Mark in the Funky Bunch, getting that Hector the Booty Inspector there in reverse. But the music for this movie is so good, I want to take the end credits music, which is also the opening credits music, and throw that in reverse to lead our way out. Ben, once again, thank you for being here. We hope to hear you and see you again. And other than that, uh, get ready for another Rob series next month. He's saluting me. That's accidentally racist. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.